What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another tour life. We're back, me and Yuli, and we're live, baby. We're doing it live, Yuli. And we're crispy. Look at how crispy we are coming through with that beautiful screen. No Yuli pixels. did the work. Yuli did the work over there to get his internet right. I'm hooked up to the modem now. Do I have some sort of a uh, choking device potentially? I might be have created a guillotine if anyone does run through because my cord is barely long enough. So it's just like head head height through the uh, through the hallway here. But we're hooked up to the the internet. This is fast speed, fast action, and that's a good thing because tonight we're gonna have to go fast speed, fast action because we have a lot to discuss. Uh, today is Wednesday, December twentieth, twenty twenty. Three, we got to talk about the Paul McBeth injury update. We got to talk about Kayla Visca, Nicola Castro coming on the podcast for the first time. Lot to discuss with those guys. Ricky Wysocki goes at my boys again. No one comes at my boys, Yuli. Uh, player movement, like not just crazy stuff that happened early in the week, like stuff that is happening live right now in yeah. front of us. As we speak, people are just posting stuff, tweeting stuff. We'll talk about all that. I've got a conspiracy theory with Eagle that I want to talk about. See how close I am on that. And uh, we got the wild story of the week and we got some listener questions. So before right. we go on that, though, how's it going, brother? How you doing? How was this last week? It's been great, man. Busy, you know, just doing the vlogmas thing. Uh, went on a little golf trip yesterday. So I got out Ooh. of the house, went on a little golf trip, went to Tobacco Road is what it's called. Very nice course. Yes, it's, I'm familiar. It's fun. Very fun. One of the more unique mm -hmm. golf courses I've ever played, man. These greens were so nuts. They were undulated yep. like 80 foot up the hill, down there. It was it was insane. Super fun. Went with a bunch of dudes from our, the club, and we had a blast. So that was my day off. And other than that, I've just been, yeah, working hard here at the house. Nice. I uh, I got to witness after one of the most pathetic games of football I've ever watched. I got to witness the Raiders actually achieve their franchise scoring record. <laughs> yeah, it that was, was wild. It was hilarious. Um, it, Trevor was doing his 24 hour live stream during it, which is shout out to Trevor for completing his 24 hour live stream. I just kept going into the chat and being like, touchdown. Touchdown, touchdown. <laughs> and he thought I was like trolling. He's like, no chance. I'm like, touchdown. It, that game was absolutely nuts. Also, whenever you get like a big boy to get a scoop and score, it's always the best. I love it. 17 miles of, an hour, dude. <laughs> we got we got one of that. Um, I was sick the last couple of days. So mm. that kind of created we've we've got a Christmas party to go to tonight for the Raiders. So kind of create a lot of chaos. I just got into a new hobby, opening sports cards. I'm all about it. Absolutely love it. I've uh, never opened sports cards before. First time, like two days ago was my first pack I ever opened. I used what? to be big into, yes, I used to be big into Pokemon. Me and okay. my brother have every basic jungle and fossil Pokemon card. So we collected when we were kids, like we've got maybe four or five Charizards. We went ham when we were kids, but I never did got into the sports cards. And now it's like, dude, this is so much fun. I think now too, that I'm paying attention, being in that survivor league for the NFL. Yeah. I know a lot more players now. So um, if you want to check that out, 
We're going to be posting stuff. The channel is called The Dark Horse Sports Cards. Me and my buddy Sage uh, will be posting live streams, videos, all that stuff. We actually already have. I just pulled, Yuli, I just did a live stream. I just pulled a redemption card. So he hasn't even signed these yet, but it's going to be an autograph. You're a UFC guy. It's an autograph from Islam, Maklachev. Oh, no way. The champ. Yes. Wow, yes. what a card to pull, man. So th- those are going right now for 50 bucks, like just the redemption, not the actual card, just the thing to get the the card. 50 bucks right now on eBay. So very, very fun. What's that? What do you got there? This is a Corbin Carroll high school yes. autograph. I just got that. Yes. Yeah. Now, now I uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna hear it in the comments. If you want to do it right, that's the right way of doing it. Is you go out, you find the card you want, and you buy it. Oh, that's we're not, not we're not doing that. No, yeah, we're opening packs over here. We're opening no. packs. Um, no. All right, uh, let's jump into it because again, like I said, lots to discuss, and we've got Kale coming on at five. At the what? Oh, the ad read. Yeah, good call. Yeah, see. This is the first one, so it's gonna it's gonna be a work process. We actually do have an ad, Yuli, okay. but we did a pre we did a pre recording, so this was okay. not the smoothest transition for me. But we're gonna do a little ad read right now. Shout out, and uh, we'll get back into it right now. We'll jump right back into the podcast. But before I do, want to talk to you guys about today's sponsor. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or if you're just a human who lives in this world who is going through a hard time. Therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. And that's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to the options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched up, with a therapist, there's a link in the description down below. All you have to do is do betterhelp.com foundation. And by clicking that link today, you can get 10% off your first month on BetterHelp. So you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. And because finding a therapist is a little like dating, if you don't really fit with a therapist, which is a common thing in therapy, you can easily switch to a new therapist at no additional cost without stressing about insurance, who's in your network, or anything like that. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com foundation. That is betterhelp.com foundation. And again, thank you so much to our sponsor today, BetterHelp. So Yuli, we lucked out. We were planning on potentially filming this early, which yeah. I'm starting to think if we have good internet, you look crispy over there. I look crispy over here. I think we keep this show live. The energy is much better. I love it when the chat is going off. I, I like the show live. I also, when we get guests to come on and it's live, I'm a big fan of that. So if we can keep everything crispy, I think this will continue to be a live show, but we were planning on filming it in the morning and I'm glad we did not because we got a, uh, I mean, we had a full show of announcements within the last like four hours. So yeah. we're going to try to rattle that off. We've got Kale coming on at the 530 mark. So 530, Kale will be coming on, followed by Nico Castro at six. A lot to discuss with those guys. But before we jump into that, 2025 Worlds will be 
in Europe, Yuli. Yeah. Crazy, right? We were literally just talking about this a couple yeah. like, is there going to be a switch to where there's going to be a little bit more emphasis over in Europe? I mean, I feel like it was just a matter of time before before we were over there for the world championships. I don't know what this means as far as like the tour going over there. I think that yeah. I think the world championships needs to be able to move around the world and not just be in in uh, America. So I, I would think it was held in Canada one time. That's the sure. only time it's yeah. ever been not held in the United States. We actually played at that course. Me, uh, Ezra and Aaron have a video of us playing that course. It's called Toronto Island. We yeah. played it on our way over from, I think after Deglo when we were headed over to. One GMC, of my favorite courses ever. Yeah. It's a fun course. Yep. Very fun course. Um, all right, so uh, some information here. What what does this mean? Yeah. So N- Nokia and Tempra, I think I said that right. Tempra, Tempra, uh, will be hosting Worlds in 2025. Uh, the proposed the proposed courses, which this is an interesting one, Yuli. Proposed courses, like how is that not already solidified? How do mm-hmm. we have? We're two years away. We're not even two years away. We're like a year and a half away. How do we not have solidified courses? How are they proposed? I, that doesn't make sense to me. But the proposed courses are the Beast in Nokia, which is made famous from the European Open, and also the Tempera Disc Golf Center, which from the players I've talked to, that's like one of the favorite courses they've ever played. Have you played I, out there? I, I have. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a great course for sure. Without a doubt. I was thinking that the European Open would move to that course personally. But... um worlds it seems well, like they're, they're wanting you to have two two courses and well the 2024 european open this was also announced will also be played on both those courses oh okay so there you go if you want yeah if you want a little preview to what the world championships will look like the 2024 this upcoming season european open will be played not just in nokia but also at tempera um other information with this the 2025 European Open will not be happening. It will not be called the European Open in 2025. Instead, it will be called the European PDGA Major, and that will happen in Italian Estonia um, at the Italian Sto- Song Festival Gardens, which are f- festival grounds, which will be that will. Uh, I think that tournament is going to be happening as well. So you can kind of see where that will go next year, this year. I changed the name. I don't know. It, there's weird stuff going on. We're, we'll, we'll get to all the weird stuff um, in a second. That's going to be the fourth PDGA Pro Major of the season, which also is another weird thing. And uh, both of the events will be scheduled close. There's no actual, hey, this is when the events are happening, but they'll be scheduled close together. So that way, travel and stuff. So let's break this down. First thing that's kind of funky to me, proposed courses. I don't know why we have proposed courses. Second thing that's a little bit funky to me, I don't know how I feel about them, like you said, changing the name. I think if we want, and we've talked about this, I think if we want to have the world championship be the world championship, I think it does make sense to have it bounce around and maybe it does play I mean, do you see the world championship ever happening at, at USDGC one year? Like USDGC doesn't exist at that tournament, at no. that course? 
See, that's what I don't like about the whole is thing. That's what's is, happening here. I mean, the world championships bounces around. Yep. The European Open shouldn't. <laughs> I feel like it shouldn't change its name. It should um, stay the European Open, even though it's not at the same course. Mm-hmm. I don't mind that. I think the European Open would be really if the World Championship ends up happening in the United States, Canada, Australia, Europe, Asia, and then it like bounces around, right? Mm-hmm. The European Open should be the European Open and it should happen in Europe every year. And then and there you have no nothing too weird about that. Yeah. I don't USDGC, know. USDGC like has always been at, at- at Winthrop, so it gets that feeling of like the Masters of it's like the, it's established. That's where it is. But eventually, we're probably going to outgrow that course. Yeah, I think we keep we say that every year when we just keep going back there. So I don't know when that would actually happen. But Me yeah, neither. I agree. But I, I agree you know, with, you. with the progression of the sport, it seems it would seem you would think it would go private eventually. You know, to a private course, and then probably stay there forever. The other thing that's, that's weird. Hope. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that's weird with this too is, is, you know, I just sometimes feel the PDGA tries to get their fingers and stuff in, in everything. Like, why is it called the PD? Why is it called PDGA pro major? Why, why are we not just calling these majors? Why are we calling them pro majors? We may like, let's just make majors a thing. Like that's just what you should call it. Majors. There's four majors. These are the four majors. Not PDGA majors, not PDGA pro majors. Point there's two. Four, <laughs> there's four majors. Yeah. It's just, it's just the terminology. A lot of times this stuff just makes it so complicated for no reason at all. And if the only reason is like, oh, well, the PDGA wants to have their name attached to it. No, get out of here. Get, get wrecked. Um, <laughs> anything else about this? I feel like the the course, the course, the way they they talked about just the courses or whatever, um, might be because maybe there's some something in the works. It's possible that they might be trying to build a really nice course and they don't want to handcuff themselves by being like, "This is where it's going to be." You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a that's a no, possibility. Possibility. Uh, we also have Hunter in the chat right now that said he actually read it as the major is happening in Europe. Not that the new, not, not that there's going to be a new name of the event. Well, if that's the case, then this whole, the way whoever wrote this article for the PDJ made it very confusing. Cause you, yeah. you should have said the 2024 European open will be hosted in here. Instead, they, the sentence literally says in 2025, the European open will not be happening. Instead, European PDJ major will happen in Estonia. That, I mean, I guess the fact that you can misread that or not misread it, but you can uh, decide how, what that means to you. I, that's just poorly written. So we'll see. Maybe they'll come out and correct it and, and let us know. Um, anything else with this? No. They announced that champions cup uh, is going to be back in Appling, Georgia in 2025. They said that they're going to start getting ready. I think in the next couple of weeks to start making the courses. So hopefully there'll be a full year of maybe people playing on them. What do you think? So what do you think in? they're going to do with that place? You think they're going to try to Isaac proof that place? I mean, who's no designed? More do we know? <laughs> no more mid range fillet gaps. And... Do we know who's designing it? Uh, Any word on who's designing it? I haven't, I haven't, I haven't heard seen anything. that. I'm not, I'm not up on the, on the new, the new stuff. Yeah. Why am I blurry? Not... No, you're my crystal. Blurry? No, you're crystal. Okay. You're still fine. 
You gotta look at your big look at your big screen. Okay. That was you're fine. Scary. Silas will Silas will also bounce in here and tell you when your internet's trash. Um <laughs> that's his favorite thing to do to us. Uh all right, let's talk about Paul McBeth. Uh he went on the upshot, talked about his torn labrum. So I don't know when it was diagnosed. I don't know hundred percent the timeline of everything. Initially, the timeline was very weird for me when it first happened in the European Open because he didn't mention it. Like he played a couple rounds and then mentioned that he he said that he injured it um after one of the rounds. In one interview that I heard, he said that he injured it after one of the rounds, but then later said that he injured himself before the tournament. So I'm not really entirely sure what's going on with the timeline of his injury. But from the gist of what he said, he went to a doctor. They didn't see anything, no problems. So then they said, just do physical therapy. Physical therapy wasn't working. So then he went to another doctor. That doctor found something on the MRI and said, you have a tear, suggested surgery, and he is going stem cells is what he's going to end up doing. So he's not going to do surgery. He's going to try to get stem cells in the next couple of weeks and hopefully be ready to go for the opening tournament of the season, which is also at his course. Well, Does go ahead. Initial reaction. Uh, wish him the best. Initial reaction is anytime uh, one of our um, competitors has to have stem cell surgery, rehab, whatever. Wish him the best. Hope, hope it, hope it works. Honestly. Um, yeah, that sucks. I think that I think personally that disc golf needs Paul McBeth playing in these tournaments. Um, and so the faster he gets back, the better for the sport. Something that was a little bit interesting. Someone that was arguably the number one fan, like he probably had the biggest fanfare attached to his name. He didn't really play that much last season. Didn't have that great of a season. He, I believe he was 13th in fan voting. So when we were kind of speculating why he wasn't one of the all-stars, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't get the votes. So yeah. his, his play didn't get him in there, and then he was 13th in fan voting. So I, I 100% agree with you. I think when Paul is playing and he's playing well, I think all like the casual fans will kind of come back out, and there will be a big uh, big support behind him. But... Is this a bigger picture? Does disc golf have an issue? Is there a plane? Big old truck just mowing by my house. Oh gosh. Okay. Now, I've never heard anything. I've never heard anything like that before. <laughs> I thought there, there was like a. I, I was worried something was happening. I was like, is there a plane flying about to fly into someone's go. thing? Special um, agent. <laughs> yeah. Does disc golf have a problem with injuries? Like pros handling injuries, injuries properly. Does disc golf have an issue? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can say that because I've handled my injury like an absolute dummy. Um, I, I've handled injuries in my career like a, like a total idiot. I know that for facts. Now, part of it was earlier in my career, I didn't have insurance. I couldn't afford it. So I went through a bunch of injuries where I just kind of self-diagnosed and and went through it and probably really really hurt myself um 
And then later on, listen, some of these injuries that we get aren't like, they're not like normal, man. They're not like normal ones that you just go to like a super good doctor and they know what's going on. For example, like when I tore my ACL, I went to a doctor after I, I healed it up, I was running and then all of a sudden it started hurting again, went to a doctor and he just, bit, he straight up told me, he said, no, sometimes ACL, like those surgeries, they just don't work and you're going to be hobbling for the rest of your life. Like that's just, sometimes that's what happens. And I'm like, what? I went to another guy and there ended up being like a little screw in there that my body wasn't like breaking down. And that was the only reason. So I went, that guy knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. So it's a combination of like, you've got to go to multiple sources. If you just imagine if I was just like, okay, yep, I'm done. And I don't get that. And then all of a sudden my body is not breaking down the screw and I just have it in there for the rest of my life. And I just hobble around. Like there are problems with that, with, with, athletes just listening to them and being like okay yeah that sounds right like multiple sources are very important another thing is we don't have like the best doctors of all time like who is our guy to go to seth you can go to you can go to those (laughs) no he's not a doctor no i know but that but i'm saying listen to what these guys i know but like but when i injured when like when i got my injury I was referred, like, I ended up, like, doing some research, asking some people, and I was referred to the, uh, at the time, I believe it was the Indianapolis Colts head doctor. Yeah. So someone that operates on guys that are worth millions and millions of dollars, that's who I went to to say, hey, my knee, I got a similar injury to what football players get. What should I do? The, The idea... Yes. Is it easier if you're an NFL player? For sure. You have a whole staff right yep. there for you. You're not having to make questions, but we, you can, you can seek these people out. You can find oh, yeah. these people and, and go to people that know what they're talking about. My, my initial question is like, is there, is there an issue with what's going on? In the, what's going on in the disc golf world? Because there, there are now multiple times where players have had serious injuries or illnesses and have decided to go like a dark horse method of recovery. And we have seen that a lot of times it doesn't work. Yeah. It just doesn't work. And I don't, I understand what you're saying. Yes. When money is an issue, you have to make sacrifices and you have to do maybe some stuff that you wish you, you, you could do. Um, you wish you could do some other stuff, but you can't afford it. Right. But I mean, we're talking about, like Ricky Wysocki, we're talking about Eagle McMahon, we're talking about Paul Macbeth, we're talking about guys that have money, and we have seen them make interesting choices in regards to their health. And I don't know if there is some sort of connection there. I don't know if someone is that is that has a connection with everyone is giving them bad advice. I don't know what's going on, but it is. it does seem weird to me that I have seen this happen before. It's not a one-off. And it's not like, oh, this happened years ago, and yeah. now we're just it, we're seeing a lot of cases, and there there's a lot of other smaller cases too as well. But those those are the big three. Well, let me ask you this question: Do you think it's um, interesting that there's more and more injuries every single year with the top guys? Is that uh, just because no. of age? Is that just people are getting older, and so injuries are happening? more often or do you think it's like the courses are getting bigger and we're just throwing as hard as we can every single time? Well, here, here's the thing too. 
I, I think that's part of it is like the game is changing. And if you're not changing how you handle yourself, like I can go, I can roll out of my car. I'm, I'm at, at I'm at the age two where like before I go on my like 40 minute run where I'm not really running that fast, I do stretches. I like warm up before I yeah. even go on like a jog. But if I really wanted to, I could roll out of my car, go to like a pitch and putt course, play 18 holes and get back into my car and come home. If I did that on a pro tour course, I don't know if I would be able to really throw tomorrow, the next day, right? If I don't warm up properly, if I don't cool down properly, there's a reason why athletes do that. <laughs> in in every every division, every every level, there's a warm up process, there's a cool down process. People are going to ice ice baths, people are getting massages, people are getting stretched. There is a proper way of taking care of your body. You can get away with it when the courses don't really require demand that much on you. But now, now we're seeing that, that shift. And so I think that's part of it. And I also, I think there's other pieces too, of where, you know, like I saw a post of like people doing kind of some crazy activities. Uh, I mean, Simon, Simon kind of went um, viral on Reddit on the disc golf Reddit. I think he was in the video with you where he did like the slide on the T pad and throw and it's like, you know, if I'm MVP and I'm paying this guy millions of dollars, like I'm, I'm scared watching that. Yeah. Because if he slips wrong and snaps his tibia or like something really bad happens, I'm like, what the heck was going on? Right. So, um, I don't think we have necessarily any of that stuff right now in our contracts, but I could totally see that in the future of like, Hey, don't play. You're not allowed to play pickup basketball. Oh, I can't. Yeah. That, I, I made that rule for myself. But you know, what I'm I saying? used to play like, it all the time, and then I got yes. hurt, and I'm like, okay, I can't do this ever again. Yeah, it's like the dangerous you know, thing. Yeah, there's certain things that we have to kind of you know shy away from because it is it is. But scary, that's part so. of the problem with the sport right now is we're policing ourselves. First of all, we don't we don't have personal trainers that are with us all the time, personal chefs, and that's what like a lot of those guys, the best athletes ever, in that position in other sports, they have all those things. They really do. No, it's it's definitely tough. It's definitely tough. It's just uh Yeah, it's 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 always interesting whenever I hear someone say like a doctor told him to do something and they decide not to do it. Um and I get it. There's some bad doctors out there, but like don't go to bad doctors. Yeah, fine. If, if you, I if, mean, that's what I ended up like you said, you went to the Indianapolis Colts guy. I went someone, to the Seattle yeah. Seahawks guy. Like I went to the yeah. very top and then he was just like, "Oh yeah, I've seen this a bunch of times." This happens. Here you go. I was literally, he gave me a little uh, surgery. I was back two weeks later walking and I was fine. Yeah. Absolutely fine. I mean, there's rumors again, like I wish Eagle was able to come on tonight. There's rumors that he might be having surgery on his shoulder. Yeah. Um, so I, I get, I, here's the thing. I know I've had, I've gone under the knife three times for my knee. It, every time you go under it, it's, it is a pain to get back to where you are and it's not always a guarantee that you're going to be better off or even back to where you were. So going under is the last thing you want to do. So I can see a side of where Paul, and I think he, he mentioned this, where he is going to try stem cells. If it doesn't work, then he's going to get the surgery. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. Um, I just think for some reason, I just think um, from what I've seen, there's a lot of disc golfers are like very anti-surgery and maybe it is because if you do you do go under the knife right your your time period for return is far far bigger yeah 
And so I think a lot of people are afraid to just like not be in it, right? They they want to be active. They want to be playing. Um, but like someone like Eagle, it's like this has been going right on a long now, time with it. Right him. now is not important, right? Yep. Like right now yeah, really he's is young not enough important. too. Exactly. You you can sit out for a full year and and then come back and dominate and you've got plenty of time. Me and you, we have to kind of make that decision, right? Like us doing a <laughs> yeah. season a, a season ending surgery, we got to like say like is that smart right now in the uh, where we are in our career? Yeah, cuz I got 5 years left. You know what I mean? Like that's one year gone. That's gone. Not, I don't have 10 years left. Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, I de- I definitely wish if I could have gone back in time, I definitely wish I would have handled my knee surgeries differently because I was kind of in your belt in your boat of where um, money that we, Oh, we're getting kale to come in. Sweet. Um, I, I was in the boat of where it's like, I had the money to do surgery, but I didn't want to miss anything. Right. Yeah. I, I didn't have someone to be like, Brody, don't be an idiot. Stop playing. Be fine. And like, yeah, I don't know. It's always, it's always just an interesting thing when injuries happen because we also don't have any idea of really what's going on. So no. the speculation is just crazy on whether or not they're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, I just want to see him will playing. Tell. That's yeah, all I want to see. Time will tell. That's, that is, uh, that's what we'll end up kind of seeing is what, what, we'll, what we'll end up being. All right, I think we are going to try to pull Kale in here at some point. Um, got a lot to talk to Kale about. I'm very excited for him to come on. First time, uh, Kale will be joining the show. Kale, I think was also one of the first pros I spoke with when I was coming into disc golf was very, very welcoming to me. And now we are here welcoming him on tour life for the very first time. Kale LaVisca. How's it going, brother? Yo, what's up guys? Thank you so much for having me. What's up, Brody? What's up, Yuffie? What's up, Dude, man? We're doing, we're doing good. We're happy to have you on here. Um, all right. I, I, have, I, I, have a, I got a lot to talk about, so I want to jump into it. First, I don't know if I've ever c- congratulated you on the kiddo. How, how's it being a dad? How's, I, I see your Instagram. If you guys want to go and see like what a perfect family go, looks like, go to Kale's <laughs> Instagram. He's got tons yeah, of like right. perfect family photos. Uh, go check it out. But uh, yeah, how, how's, how's it being over there having a little kiddo running around? It's so wild, man. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. We just, uh, we've been on the road for about two months. We were down in Charleston and we just got home like three nights ago and we're finally home and it's just unbelievable. And it's funny cause I was like, you know, seeing my friends and family post pictures of their babies all the time. And I was like, oh, does that. And then here I am doing it all the time, of course. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say you, you got like some, you got, I was scrolling through your Instagram. You got like the, the cool, like Thanksgiving, like pumpkin patch photos. And then you've got like the cool disc golf photos. And now we're in Christmas season. Uh, you're doing it right, man. That's really, really exciting over there. Um, all right. The first thing I want to talk about here, first thing I want to, and Silas, how's the audio going? There was a little kind of weirdness. Okay. Silas is working on it. Okay. Um, first question. And you kind of, kind of brought this up. So I'm very interested in what you said. How does it feel to be on the all-time money list record with these names? I'm going to list off some of these names that you, you, you accompany here. Paul McBeth, Ricky Wysocki, Barry Schultz, Dave Felberg, Ken Climo, 
Nicola Castro, Calvin Heimberg, Paul Yulberry, yourself, and Matt Oram. That's the top 10 all-time PDGA earnings list. That is quite a list. Holy smokes. That's quite the list, Yuli. <laughs> man, that's a lot of years. It's a lot of tournaments, yeah, man. I know. When I, when I see all those names besides Calvin, that's a lot of people that have been doing it for, for a long time, some of the greats. So that's, that's quite the honor, and it just – it speaks to how long Yuli and I have been doing it, how long we've been grinding, how long we've been enjoying this game. That's wild. That's that's a lot of tournaments. That's over 400 tournaments for me. So that's that's pretty wild. How long do you think it's gonna be before we're we're like in 40th, 40th place on there? I feel like that's a few years <laughs> away, honestly. Like with with how much money these people are making every single year, you know, it took me 10. 10, 15 years to accumulate over a hundred grand probably, probably. And they're doing it in seasons. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. The, I mean, the highest cash earners each season now is well over a hundred grand and you figure what's it going to be like in five years. I mean, people are probably going to be hitting half a million for a season yeah. potentially. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. So, you know, obviously you and I, we want to continue to do this for a long time and hopefully we, we're getting some of these big checks as well, but yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be tough to stay in that top ten for 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 too much longer with with how how well they, these kids are playing and how much how much money's in the purses. They better start making an inflation one. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Yeah, because some of the terms you, some of the terms you guys played like if you didn't get first, second, or third, like you didn't make anything. No, yeah, nothing. Where some of these tournaments yeah, moving forward, like twentieth place, you might be making like four digits. Yeah, for sure. Like, so guess how much money I I made for the only national tour, so elite series that I ever won. Guess how much money that was. What First year place. was it? Probably like 2011. Oh yeah, probably so 2500. Yeah, I was gonna say like maybe 3000. 1600 dollars. Yeah, I mean that's like that's like a normal A tier now, right? Yeah, you can find yeah, a bunch that could of be a B tier. I mean, I've won C tiers for that much for sure. It's yeah, crazy. It's crazy crazy but yeah that's a sick that's a sick list to be on um for sure all right a lot of people a lot of people want to know what what is your current involvement right now with prodigy are you go ahead yeah sorry yeah no with prodigy so you know it was 2013 when we started up the company um I was one of the original investors in the company, one of the original founders. So with that initial contract that we signed, we were given a certain amount of shares just for being a part of that. And then that first year, um, we were, I was given the opportunity to buy in for additional shares, which um, I did take them up on that. So um, I'm technically, you know, I own, you know, 2% of the shares, I guess you could say, um, but, yeah, I've been, you know, been with them with the start uh since the start and uh so yeah, I've seen, you know, the the whole the whole cycle of the company this far and uh yeah, we've been through a lot together. So are you like just player or do you have other things that you do for for the company? Um how does that work? Yeah, I guess you could call it like a consultant. Um I was on the board of directors for a couple of years there. Um but yeah, I guess, you know, I'm consulted with on you know disc production mold production stuff with the team um i try to give input you know whenever they ask me but um yeah just i you know i can solve with them on, on whatever they need so something i you know 
have kind of seen as like people saying what prodigy is is like you get guys signed with prodigy they get really freaking good and then they go somewhere else right that's kind of been a trend for like a couple years you currently have two of the youngest best players in disc golf right now right you've got isaac robinson gannon burr is there more of an emphasis now on like, hey, we're going to try to keep these? Because I, I can see the the appeal of like, hey, we're going to get guys cheap because they're not, they haven't made their name yet. And we're going to help build their name. And then once they get kind of too expensive, deuces, we're out, right? And you kind of could go that strategy. Is that the strategy that project you think continues? Or do you think they're going to say, you know what? No, we want to ride with Isaac. Let's sign him for 10 years. Like we've seen people do with Ricky. We've seen uh, Discraft do with Paul. I know Calvin signed a long uh, restructured deal with Innova. What What are your thoughts on like the the way that Prodigy is moving forward with their players? Yeah, you know, traditionally that's kind of how it has been for sure. But that's definitely not by design. You know, all of these great players that we've had over the years, you know, in a perfect world, we'd be keeping them and we'd, you know, develop longer relationships with a lot of these guys. But the reality is it's like, you know, we're, we're such a relatively young company. I know a lot of people think of us for being along for, for, for so long, but, you know, compared to companies like Innova and Discraft who've been in the game for 30, 40 years and, you know, have much larger budgets than we do, you know, it's, we're, we're kind of a small, a small company compared to that. So, you know, the, the fact that we've, you know, our team has performed as well as we have, you know, I think it says a lot um, about what we've done so far, but yeah, it's tough to, tough to keep some of these, these players that are demanding so much money and rightfully so when, you know, we have a little bit smaller budget to work with. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I mean, Innova kind of showed what they like at, at, when they kind of let a lot of people go a few years ago, everyone thought they were crazy. Right. And they just were like, yo, Calvin's our guy. We're going to put our, all of our resources and funds into Calvin. We're going to still have other players sign, but we're not going to try to amass this team of where we're spending all this. And a lot of people thought that was a dumb idea. I think it's working. So I think there are different ways to make it happen. And I think if you find someone that is your guy and you want to ride with that guy, um, it makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense. So we'll be interesting yeah, to see. To go with what you said, sorry, just to say what to go with, you said, obviously, you know, we like players like Isaac and Gannon who are just, you know, some of the youngest, brightest players in the game. Um, we love, you know, to keep those guys forever, but Unfortunately, the reality is, 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 you know, I don't know for sure if that's going to be able to happen. I hope we can. Um, but yeah, there's, those guys have, have done so much for us and, and meant so much for prodigies. It, it'd be great to keep them, but you know, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. Yeah. And I'm sure, uh, Gannon will, we'll get some information with him at some point in the next few weeks upcoming. Um, let's talk about your cash streak a little bit. Let's talk about this cash streak that you had 14 years. <laughs> 4,850 days, 370 tournaments. It started back in November 16th, 2008. It went all the way to February 26, 2022, where you lost it by one shot on the last few holes at LVC. <laughs> Do you remember those last few holes? Do you remember those last oh few holes? Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I still think about those last few holes. <laughs> and Brody, a lot of respect. I, I respect what you do. You're always doing your research. I appreciate that. Um, I remember those last three holes like it was yesterday, honestly. Um, 
And it, to the last hole specifically, it was at Vegas, and I was in the cash line. I remember this. I was. I looked at the scores. I was like, oh, I'm in the cash. One stroke in. All I got to do is part of this hole. And I can't remember the name of the course, but it's the one that finishes right there by returning all the carts in, you know, where you had to the cross clubhouse, the road. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. they turned into that par so, three, though. Exactly. But this was back when it was the par four. And oh, it was still when they the par had the okay. across the road. Yeah. Okay. So um, I remember, I'm like, ah, just get this in bounds, lay up, take your par, and you're in the cash. And I hung my disc out a little bit wide, clipped the pine tree that was up there in bounds, slow rolled about 80 feet backwards out of bounds onto the path. And I'm just like, well, that's it. And I was like, well, maybe there's a chance I could get my driver up to the basket. I remember I threw this full flex driver shot and it was one of the best shots I threw all tournament, put it to about 20 feet, get up there and doink the putt to miss the catch no. on one stroke. So, <laughs> but honestly it was Brody, it was such a blessing because I'm sitting there in that last hole in like 40th place thinking about taking a par on the hole. Like that's not, that's not the kind of golf I want to be playing at all. So like missing the cash, you know, after all that, all that time, all those years, 300 plus tournaments, it almost like kind of freed me up to, to play uh, a more fun style of golf. And it was honestly kind of a relief to be honest with you. Was there ever any other tournaments like that to where you're coming down the stretch and you're like right on the cash line and you kind of knew it and you obviously got the job done there, but were there any close calls that you can recall? Doesn't want to talk about it. No, no, that was a bad question. Oh, he's back. Okay. <laughs> I think we lost you there for oh, a second. Can you hear but me guys? Yeah, we lost you for a second, but you're back now. Okay. Yeah. So I was saying 2021, there was a couple of uh, those pro tour events where I started the, the final round kind of right on the bubble. And again, it was, it was, it was on my mind the whole time and it made for a, a more stressful round than it had to be. But yeah, I, I remember uh, a, a couple, I mean, there was probably 20, 30 events over that 300 event stretch where it was close, but, um, yeah, there was nothing like that Vegas though. I, I'll, I remember I was so hurt in the moment when the, when the streak was over, but then, you know, a week or two went by and I, I honestly felt freed up by a little bit. I like asking this question because I think last cash pressure is like the most hilarious thing ever. Um, <laughs> there's nothing like it. Right. Uh, do you think Especially that, like a four day tournament? Yeah. Do you think that, that is it tougher as far as the pressure goes to win a tournament or is it tougher to just when you know you're on the bubble and you're coming down the stretch, they're similar, but I always explain it like this, like last cash pressure is you're kind of, you're playing terrible. Yeah. You're not playing well. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're coming down the stretch and then you're playing against guys down you there don't know where your drives are going. <laughs> yeah. You have, your, you're not your in control of your game super at all. shaky. hundred <laughs> percent. But then you're playing against guys who actually are playing really good because like, they're trying to maybe cash for the first time ever. There's always those guys. And mm -hmm. so they're fist pumping in your face, making these putts. And you're <laughs> sitting there like, what are you like? What are you doing, man? This is the worst <laughs> I've ever played, but you still, you know, the competitiveness is still there to where you're really trying to grind it out and find something in the last few holes, which is harder last cash pressure or winning a tournament to you. Well, to me, I'd say winning the tournament, but when the streak was like coming into like, you know, 14 years, it was the last cash pressure back then for sure. Yeah. But I know what you're saying. It's so funny because like cashing on the pro tour, you guys know it's, 
it's an accomplishment these days. You get yeah. you get top thirty at a pro tour event and you're playing probably ten forty golf. And like you yeah. said, some of these kids, this might be the first time that that's happened for them. So, you know, you try to respect the moment and respect the sport and even if even if I'm not having my best weekend, still try to get it out and and, and make something of it for sure. <laughs> All right, you've been touring, you know, we just kind of talked about like your cash streak and I'm sure you were playing disc golf well before your cash streak began. We've got some photos that you sent into us of uh, not just you and Yuli, but also our next guest coming on, Nico, as well. We'll see if we can throw those photos up from way back in the day. Oh, what wow. is this? Is that uh, is that top of the, where, where is that? Alta guys. Isn't that awesome? You remember where that is? Isn't it Alta guys? Germany, it was yeah. I think it was called off off to swing. Off to swing. Okay, <laughs> that was close. <laughs> and honestly, th that that was an unbelievable. I remember we uh, we were on like an eight week trip. Yuli, you remember that? That was mm -hmm. one of the best best disc golf experiences of my life. But this this particular place right there was in the mountains of Bavaria, Germany. It was just a beautiful place. And in the background, you can almost kind of see it. Like there was uh, just World War II remnants all over the place, and they actually tried to like carve like some of Hitler's writing into the mountain back there. But the war oh, ended wow. halfway through, so they stopped doing it. So yeah. you can kind of see it behind us. That was that was a wild place. It was that was quite the trip. Crazy. So what what are some of the things that like have changed touring? You know, the last couple of years. Versus when you first started touring, where, where are some of the bigger changes? And you, you, you guys can both pop in on this. I mean, you, like, you know, when we, when we started doing this, it was, things were just so different. We were, we were just hitting the country, hitting as many tournaments as we could, just because we loved competing so much, you know, the, the difference. Oh yeah. There's another trip from Amsterdam right there, but the difference now is, is there's just so much more on the line, I guess. You know, we were kind of doing it more for the love of the game. We were all young, a bunch of kids just in the country trying to trying to compete as much as we could. And just remember, there was there was definitely a brotherhood among us. We, we you and I traveled together for at least a few years straight, back and forth across the country. And um, I just remember, you know, you and I didn't even – we, we, we try to find C tiers, B tiers, A tiers, whatever had a, a decent oh. sized field, him and I were going to try to hit. And, you know, now it seems like um, among, you know, the, the best players in the world, everyone's playing the pro tour events, but we didn't have, you know, multiple pro tour events every single month that we could hit. There might only be one national tour event every couple months or something. So, you know, we, we loved it so much and we were just hitting up at every tournament that we could. Yeah. I mean, back, back then too, there was, it, it's a lot, it's hard to explain the culture was different as far as like what was a great player back in the day like if you look at somebody's win total that was like a big thing like you would have like a moser who had like 100 wins and a rico who had like 100 wins and that was like a big focal point in my career as i wanted to get there and nowadays like playing C tiers, B tiers or whatever is almost looked down upon a little bit in, in at the very top of the sport. Right. Cause they're like, okay, there's Yuli playing another C tier. But when I came up, like that was how you made your name is how many wins mm -hmm. do you have? You're a prolific winner on the, you know, on the tour. And that was a major goal of mine from the very beginning is, 
Of course, I wanted to win a world championship. That's number one always for every – that's always been the case in disc golf, which is great that we've been able to hold, like, that that one thing. But then I wanted to win all those tournaments, right? I wanted to be known as a winner. And then the last one was, like, eventually I want to make the Hall of Fame. Like, those were my three goals my whole career, and those were key focal points of doing those things back in the day. Now you look at it, and like I said, people look at me playing like little C tiers and stuff, and they don't understand that. No, that's like ingrained into like who I am as yeah. a player, and what was built back then. Like that was a big deal, you know. Like I don't, I don't have any of that. Like when I came yeah. in, when I came in, I my first tournament, other than like the league that I had to play to get a rating to be able to play at Waco, which Kale, I think we played together that round. Yeah, on your that, first on that big feature. coming out party. Yeah, for sure. no idea what I was doing out there. But um, that was my first tournament. So I jumped into the, I didn't jump into the, like you guys were saying, grinding at C and B and A tiers. And I even will sometimes have people be like, you haven't even won an A tier yet. And I want to be like, I, I don't even know if I played that many A tiers. I think I've <laughs> only played a couple A tiers. Like, it's not like I'm, and, and to me, like, I don't have any care and I think what you were saying, Yuli, like people that have just come into the sport when the pro tour has kind of gotten to the level that it is now, I don't think they care either. Where in the past, if you went out and played an a, a big A tier and like won, like that was news. Like people were talking about that. Where now, like, I, I yeah, I see people post on their social media still that they won a tournament or whatever. But when I'm deciding what to talk about on, the tour, on tour life here, like I'm not really talking about that. I'm not really talking yeah. about... Haley King just won some tournament down somewhere right now. Obviously there are some tournaments that will have like a bunch of big names show up and that could be like a little preview of like what's to come or like when Simon changes, um, when Simon goes to MVP and he might play, uh, an A tier before the season, it's like, Ooh, let's see what, how he does with his new plastic. But I, I, I'm kind of in that realm of like, I just kind of follow the pro tour and that's really all I care about. So yeah. I get that side. There was levels to it back then, Brody. There was, okay, you win a tournament, period. Great. You're, yep. That was like your graduation. You're a professional now. And then B tier. Can you win a B tier? And then the big one was an A tier. Like we really gauged how good you were by if you ever won an A tier or not. Like if you didn't, there was no, you know, we there's no respect going down that way as far as what level you are. And national tour and, and A tiers back in the day kind of went hand in hand. Of course, there's a little level up as far as national tour. I remember one, like that was like a big deal when I won. I'm like, okay, I finally won a national tour. But even winning A tiers back then w was super difficult. You know what I mean? Because you had regional players that held that down. And so like the traveling disc all, you can have, ask Kale, if you traveled to somewhere, Imagine playing like a Moser up in Delaware at an A tier back in the day. You probably weren't going to win. But Kaylee, tell us your experiences because I mean that's that's one of the things that I I really also, recall as being also like, like super what's important. something that what's something that you really miss that like used to happen on tour and now that the tour is a little more professional, you know, younger players are coming in. Like, what's something that isn't happening anymore that you kind of miss from the old days? Miss taking top four every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> honestly brody we're laughing but that, that's probably the one thing i miss too is i man when i think about like 2008 2009 i could 
I hate to say it, but I could kind of like play my C plus B minus game, maybe still get top five in an A tier or something. And now it's like, if I do that, I'm missing cash on the pro tour for sure. But you know, the, the way that the game is advancing, it's a beautiful thing. I, you know, I don't want to see anything revert back to the way it was, but I think, I, I think, you know, how Yuli said it's ingrained in him to play these smaller events. Like I just, I just love competing. If, if I can't make it out on the pro tour for whatever reason, from the family or for businesses or whatever, um, I'll look, I'll look up C tiers and B tiers around me. And I think I just enjoy playing tournaments. And I think, you know, if more of these young players did that and learned, you know, and played well and learned how to win, I think it could, I think it could help people for sure. If they, uh, you know, cause coming down the stretch, there's not a lot of pressure, like having to, to hit a putt for the win. And, on the pro tour for a lot of these players, it's not a realistic thing unless you play, you know, out of your mind one weekend. So I think it's good to kind of sharpen your skills in some of these smaller tournaments. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think I was able to kind of bypass that a, a little bit with my experience in other sports coming into disc golf. But uh, yeah, if you're just kind of like just getting into disc golf or whatever, I, I, I agree. Like get your toe wet in some of these smaller tournaments and slowly build your way. That's what me and Yuli have always said too on here. If like, if you're trying to get known, if you're trying to get sponsored, if you're trying to get on the tour, like win the local tournaments, like beat the people in your local area and then kind of make the jump. Um, and this is more what, for like the what, young guys, right? One more thing I just was kind of thinking about as you were saying that was when you asked about what we could go back to, what I kind of missed. When, when Yuli and I started playing, if you, if you were a sponsored player, like if you were sponsored by Innova or Discraft, it was like the biggest deal in the world. You're like probably the best player in your region. And that's one thing that I kind of miss. It seems like, you know, there's so many different more companies and so many players getting sponsored at every level. M MA1 players, MA2 players getting sponsored and stuff. Um, I just remember the days when it was like, oh, you're sponsored by Innova? You're like literally probably the best player yeah. in your state to make that happen. So, yeah. It'd be interesting to see, see like that's something that I could see going back to it. Right. Like you, I, I think we see some teams kind of cutting back on like the street team and all this of where they're sponsoring. I mean, we saw Lone Star this year sponsor 500 people and a dog. Right. So I think it's, it, it could be going back to where, Hey, let's just focus. Let's put our most, our money, our resources and stuff on the pros and then maybe we do have like an ambassador program as well, but you wouldn't really consider yourself like sponsored, right? You're not showing up to your local course saying like, I'm sponsored by Discraft and Yuli shows up being like, I'm sponsored by Discraft. Like those two things are very different, right? Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, hundred percent. Cause I remember like, it was like probably 2005, I won the Minnesota state championships and, and Discraft called me up and asked me for sponsorship. And I thought I had made it, you know, I was like one of only two people in my state to be sponsored at that time. And now, you know, there's probably 25, 30 sponsored players in Minnesota alone, maybe even more than that. So, yeah, that's funny. Cause, uh, my first world championships in the open, in the open division, I remember, I'll never forget this. Um, I was playing against somebody. I can't remember his name, but he showed up and he was in end of a gear for one of my rounds. Like, you know, back in the day, they had like these black jerseys. They had uh, uh, not jerseys, but black collared shirts. They had blue ones and they had red ones. And if you had one of those, like that was intimidating. And I remember thinking that like, 
oh, this guy's sponsored for sure by Anova. He's going to destroy me. And he did. But it was like, you know, once I saw those colors on him, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I'm on a card with somebody really good. It really meant something. I yep. remember that. Maybe maybe they can start like putting stars or something, kind of like what those college football teams do. Like the Ohio State puts like all the Buckeyes all over your helmets to let you know like who's playing well. Like you just show up with your like prodigy bag and there's like, 5,000 stars and you're like holy cow this guy <laughs> this guy's this guy's sponsored and good oh, like this, this guy's guy. got his stripes <laughs> yeah this guy's got his stripes exactly all right let's switch gears a little bit so we've kind of been talking a little bit more or we've been talking all about your playing style but something that I think you've been one of the first to kind of do and and kind of lead the path now we've seen Paul Macbeth do it we now have seen Nico who's joining us he'll be talking about it going out and actually creating buying, building, and now running a disc golf course, a disc golf tournament. Like, talk to me a little bit about how you, how that even came about. Like, how did that start? Like, how did you go and say, like, I, I want to own a disc golf course? You know, it, I mean, I think it probably started a long time ago. I think it, it probably is a lot of disc golfers dream when you get into it full fledged, like we did to, to someday have, you know, my own disc golf property. That was just a dream from the start and never really thought it was too much of a reality. But, you know, back in, it must've been about 2012, 2013, I started really getting into the, the course design aspect of it. And I was getting hired to do a lot of courses around Minnesota. And once I started, you know, getting 10, 15 courses under my belt, um, I really was like, you know, someday I got to have my own property. Um, we opened up a, a disc golf shop in 2013, it was called the, the Airborne Disc Golf Emporium. And we had this, this cool shop open for a couple of years, me and my partner, and we shut it down because we kind of went all online. And, you know, for whatever reason, we shut down the shop. And I said, I wasn't gonna open up another pro shop unless it was on my own course. So about six, seven years went, went by before we got the preserve. And, you know, it's, it, it was just a dream that I always wanted to have, to have my own property where all my friends and family could come play. And, and uh, when it happened in 2020, um, and then all of a sudden the pro tour is coming and it kind of blew up so fast that it started snowballing so fast that, you know, we didn't even understand how big it was gonna get at the time, but, you know, seeing how fast and, and how big it's gotten. And then this past year, we had the opportunity to, to get another disc golf property it's an old course that used to be called Vision Quest in Minnesota. It's uh, right up by Blue Room Pines. It was one of one of the best courses in Minnesota for many years, but the old owner kind of let it go and sold it to a new guy who gave us the opportunity to kind of come in and run it. And I was like, you know what? We did this with the preserve. It worked. We got the community behind us. And this this new property is only 18 holes, so it didn't seem like as much of an undertaking as the preserve. But you know. We were able to pull it off again and, you know, having, having a disc golf property is just a dream. And like you said, Nico with his and Paul with his, and I'm sure Yuli is going to probably going to have his before too long. And there's going to be a lot of us, I think. And, you know, it'll be cool once, once the pro tour is, is made up of a, a lot of the, the, the players courses. So I don't think it'll be too long. It'll be cool to see too, like who ends up shifting into more of that designer role too because we don't have right now like we don't really have 
long-lasting design there are a few right like john howick i i believe right that's a name that is familiar to me there's a few that you can be like oh yeah that guy i know who that is but you know 30 years from now like a kale visca design course like that could be equivalent to like a greg norman design course yep. right or um uh, a Jack Nicholas, something like that. There, we don't really have anything going that route. So that can be really, really interesting. One thing I do want to ask though, disc golf right now is on a weird, some people want more like pay to play courses. Some people are like, no, get that out of here. I don't want that. Do you foresee courses like yourself? Like, do you see people going out and trying to create an experience trying to create something more than just showing up playing disc golf and leaving you see that being like a profitable venture for for more you know companies players in the future i definitely do but it has to be the right market for sure because you know up in minnesota we have thousands and thousands of disc golfers all around the twin cities metro area maybe even hundreds of thousands so it's really you know we have courses about every four or five miles down here and every single one is packed in the summertime. So, you know, there's in our particular area, there's a need for more and more courses. And, you know, all the, the, the free city courses and stuff are places where people can kind of, you know, learn how to play. But there's more and more of a desire around here for creating better playing environments, pay to play courses. And in Minnesota alone, we probably have, you know, eight or nine pay to play courses. But I remember when the first, when the first city course changed the pay to play, there was just like a complete uproar where people are upset about it. And now after about five, six years of that, it's become the norm and people don't really bat an eye at it. So it kind of takes um, being in the right market and having enough disc golfers in your area for sure. But yeah, I think, you know, people, disc golfers want to play on that disc golf country club. You know, they want to play on something better than they've ever seen before. So I think uh, for us, it's been very successful. And I think, it can be for, for people all, all over. Yeah. I mean, I think for me going to a course where I know people aren't going to be picnicking in the fairways, I'm not going to have like potential like runners or bikers just kind of cutting across. Um, I'm also not going to show up and there's going to be like 20 people on the first hole or potentially like playing. And then like on hole eight, someone just jumps in front of me, like all those things at a certain point at a certain price point for people is like, all right, I'm drawing the line. Like I, I don't want to deal with this every time I go play disc golf. So I think there is, like you said, there definitely is a market, but as disc golf grows, is this going to be like, can that market continue to grow? Cause like right now I, I agree with you. Like there's probably only a handful of markets in the U S where courses like yours make sense, right? You can't just could just drop a course in Atlanta and be like, oh, this is gonna be super successful. People will show up and pay $25 to play here. You gotta be a little more strategic there, but maybe eventually one day there it could be like that. Maybe, maybe you can just drop a course in a big city and be fine. Yeah, uh, and like there, yeah, there, go ahead. there's this like world sorry, there's this world famous disc golf complex up in northern Wisconsin called Highbridge. And it's it's one of the best disc golf properties I've ever been on. Yuli, you, you've been there? Oh yeah. Yeah, you were there in 2007. That's where they had the world championships, actually. Um, but it's it's so far off the grid that they're kind of struggling to to keep it going, and that's just because you know there's there's just not enough disc golfers up there. So if if that exact property was down here in like you know around the Twin Cities of Minnesota, 
it'd be one of the you know the, the most played disc golf courses in the world so definitely uh you need the right place how i mean how important do you think too like the land is right because with the funds that disc golf currently has it doesn't seem like it would be that profitable to put a whole bunch of money into a disc golf course and change it a whole lot move ground add a whole bunch right so like how important is that to like make sure because what you were saying there's tons of golf courses i've gone to that are in the middle of nowhere they are so hard to get to but they are very unique. There's something about them that makes them very unique to where when you show up there, you're like, this is special. And I think like, if you just put a disc golf course in the woods somewhere, that doesn't necessarily going to make anyone be attracted to drive an hour and a half to go play that course. So what are, what are some like course design things that you have seen that, you know, attracts people to preserve? Well, that's that, the preserve was a golf course. You know, the, this golf course was built back in the seventies and I don't know the exact number, but I want to say they put, they, it cost them like $2 million back in the late seventies build this place, which is, you know, a ton more money now. And what the preserve was when we got it in 2020, it would have taken us probably five years to do all that. You know, we were like gifted with this place that already had land walls and, and creeks and bridges and, you know, all these features that had, you know, that so much money, frankly, was put into it that we were lucky enough to kind of get it after all that was done. And, you know, to for someone to to really go in and do it right and say, okay, I got a hundred acre property. I'm going to try to use all course philosophy and put so much money into this. You know, you got to really be thinking about your return investment unless someone that's got a ton of money, like the Eagles crossing situation, for example, you know, that guy's put millions into that property, but it takes the right kind of person, someone with a, with a big dream that, that wants to pull it off. But, you know, they're doing it on a, a smaller scale is probably a lot more uh, realistic, you know, maybe digging out a couple ponds, you know, doing, doing landscaping projects and stuff like that. But, you know, I think, you know, as the game continues to grow, I think we are going to see some people that, that come into the sport that are pretty ambitious and have some money and are going to want to do some fun projects. So, Hopefully I'll get the call when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Like I love, I love going and playing the Portland open on those courses because of just how well manicured that, that place is. However, you definitely know you're not like, you're not meant to be there, right? Like it's, it, it's a, it's a golf course and we're playing disc golf there. And every time I've come back to the preserve every year, it gets farther and farther away of, oh, this is a disc golf course on a golf course. It gets closer and closer to like, no, this is just a disc golf course. The way that you guys have done the grass length too, I've been saying that is so important to just visually see like, oh, this is where you want to land. This is not where you want to land. And I, I love the changes that you have been making over there. I think it's awesome. I know everyone that goes out there to watch it loves it. It's definitely one of the players' favorite courses. So I'm, I always look forward to seeing, because, you know, some courses you go and you're like, oh, did, are they going to elevate? Are they going to elevate whole sevens basket? Is that what's going to be different this year? But I know with you guys out there, there's always something that you guys are doing to advance the course. And I, I love that the most about your guys' property. Um, all right. I appreciate that. And I, I hope you like the, the couple tweaks that we got for this coming year too. We got, we got about three holes in, in mind that we're going to be tweaking a little bit and making better. So I appreciate you saying that you put hazard down the right side of hole one. 
<laughs> you know, Come that's, that's, on, definitely baby. The, that's definitely one Come of the things on. we're considering. I'm, let's I'm let, 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 the let, let the players sweat a little bit on that hole. <laughs> I know. This, I think you're this right. is I'm, one of the I'm, things where Kale and I have the opposite thought process. <laughs> he wants you to be able to throw it wherever you want. I want OB everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I, I know, like it's kind of half and half and split on the philosophy there. But um, you know, if if there wasn't already so many courses on tour that had OB everywhere, I'd be more likely to do stuff like that. But I just feel like there's a place to have kind of both different styles, and. And, but I do have some tweaks. I've, I've been listening to, to what the players want on a couple of the holes and hole one is definitely one of the ones that I think we might do that. Nice. All right. Last thing here before we let you go. Um, this was actually sent in by a fan. I did ask some fans for some questions for you. This person said, I'd like to know the actual story of the climo trying to call kale for an extra throw after his huge putt at the majestic to tie on 18 and 20 2007. So we've got the clip size. If you can roll the clip, this, this was like one of the first disc golf videos I saw. And this, this was, yes, this was electric. When I saw, I just oh, randomly yeah. stumbled upon. I didn't even know this was you. I had no idea. I, I think I had someone had to tell me this was you or something. This was electric. Let's go. <laughs> so <laughs> I didn't know. Is there a climo story here that I don't know about? Does he try oh, to yeah, call you on time. something afterwards or what, what? What? Yeah. Tell us, tell the story if you will. Well, yeah. If, if you let that clip roll a little bit, you'll see at the end, after I'm done running around like an idiot for about 20 seconds here, just watch <laughs> this when I kind of spike my, uh, spike my putter down at the end here. <laughs> so, so you saw that I spiked my putter down at the end. Yeah. This was the final hole. Oh, this did he say that was, that count as an extra throw? That throwdown, the spike. Brody, yes. No. Yes. And I had just, I just hold out. It was my final hole of the tournament, essentially, and that was to tie him on the final hole. <laughs> and it's honestly, you know, because we that was a pretty hype moment. You have to admit, like, for, especially for 2007 disc golf, like. I haven't seen a lot of eruptions like that, even on, you know, no. in 2023, but, but it was, you know, I think just like the rush of emotion with all the, like, that was my Minnesota crowd behind me. My friends and family are there and I don't know what got into me, but I'm running around. I pretty much blacked out as I'm running around celebrating and stuff. And I just spiked my putter down didn't think anything of it. And I remember everyone kind of tapped out on the final hole and the TD kind of brings us together. It was Timmy Gill at the time. And he says, and Kenny's pretty much trying to, to get me stroked for, for an extra practice throw for spiking my putter there. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. I was just like, you know, I tied you fair and square. Like, what are you trying to say here? The tournament was over. <laughs> um, and I remember, and again, I love Kenny and, but it was a heat of the battle kind of thing that happened here. But I remember they asked our group mates and this was like a, you can have that Nico's who's coming on next. He was in the group as like a 17 year old kid. And I remember I asked everyone in the group what they thought should happen. And I remember Nico, he goes, man, he hit that putt in your face. And, just, <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I was like, all right, Nico, you're my boy from then on. But um, Wait, was he right? Was, the, like, was it right ruling to say like, you is that technically could no count? no he he was 
he was not on the okay. radar. So once you hole out, it doesn't matter what so. you do. Yes, and and we ended up going to a, like a four hole playoff, and like after what just happened, all the excitement and you know the kind of confrontation between him and I, and the crowd was just way more on my side, especially after this confrontation happened. And I remember we both birdied the first three holes, and then on the fourth hole, I had like a 35 foot putt, and he was parked. And I remember just hitting it just low. And he walked up and he was so hyped. He tapped in his putt and he's got his arms in the air chanting Florida. And it was, <laughs> it was a pretty intense moment for 2007. I'll tell you that. Wow. Oh. Wow. Oh man. Yeah. I mean that, I love you, Kenny, that, uh, that celebration. Like I remember going back to, to ultimate, we won on what we, what we call universe point. It's basically 14, 14 next person to score wins. And uh, one of our best players at the time, this was back, this was my freshman year in 2006. Um, he catches the goal and then just rips. We're playing like 25 mile an hour wins. He just rips this nasty lefty backhand straight up in the air and like a wind gust catches it and launches the thing like 500 feet over the pavilion, way out in the middle of nowhere. And it was like one of the sickest, like he launches it up and his arms are up in the air and it's like, that's like one of the sickest thing and watching you, I mean, a spike is not near to me. Like that's like, I don't know how you even say, try to say that's a throw, but I could see that being a future celebration, right? Like someone drains a putt, runs up, grabs the disc and then just chucks it in the air. That's an electric. I mean, that was one of the best kind of celebrations. I think I've seen uh, in disc golf and we need more of that stuff to be honest with you. Right. More, I think so too, man. I was so emotion. I was so hyped. I remember it was I was like down three strokes or three to play, and so you know coming back and hitting that putt, I completely just lost it. But yeah, I mean hearing the crowd just erupt like that, it kind of it kind of you know sparks its own celebration itself just by uh, hearing the crowd eruption. That was that was unbelievable. Man, all right. Well, hey, we appreciate everything, Kale. That you uh, your long career in disc golf. And your continued long career in disc golf with all the stuff that you're doing over at the preserve. I know all of us, uh, players, fans, everyone has really appreciated all that you have done for disc golf. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on here, man. Hey, it's really my pleasure. And I just, I seriously want to say thank you guys for, for working so hard and putting out so much content. We all appreciate it. Cause I remember when I we started don't, playing, we don't I do anything. One. It's all Silas. Silas does everything. <laughs> Me and Yuli just show Silas up. Silas is the man. <laughs> Silas is the man. Yeah. I remember like when I first started playing, I had one disc golf DVD and I probably watched it like a hundred times. So all the people getting into the game now, they get to watch, you know, you guys talk about disc golf and stuff. It means a lot. So thank you guys. Yeah, of Appreciate course. It, right, we'll definitely have to have you come back on at some point. Anytime. All right, boys. All right, man. Have a good night. All right. Kayla Visca, 14 years, Yuli, 4,850 days, 370 tournaments. Cash streak. My gosh. Guy's a baller, did, did, man. Didn't you have a decently long cast streak at one point? Like you had a, you were up there, right? I think. I mean, not like that. No, 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 no. no. But I'm saying like, I think I saw somewhere. hundred and some tournaments, maybe 200 tournament or 200 tournaments, maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. When I was doing my research, I think I saw your name in the list of like 
someone that had a long cash streak. So. I've had a, I, I've played a lot of tournaments though. I'm almost at 600 probably. So there's going to be some crazy stuff in there for sure. It uh, I don't think anyone's getting close to like. I mean, we had Sexton on right when we were talking. We were talking about yeah. his cash streak. Um, I don't I don't think anyone's getting close to this anymore. No. Like it's, like unless you're just playing local like C tiers, right? Like yeah. and those technically are PDJ events. Um, but if you're playing on the pro tour, yeah, good luck. We'll see. I mean, Calvin Calvin missed cash at all last year? Or was it the um, year before? I, I think, think the, year the year before, before he got yeah. the year before he got injured at Beaver Steep playing and missed cash. Yep. Don't think he missed it last year. Of course not. That was why, one of my reasonings for why he should be a player of the year is because his like average finish was like was basically He's a top ten ma- or top five machine. Yeah, he's just a monster, monster. All right, next up, we've got Nico coming on, folks. Um, he hasn't joined just yet, so we're gonna wait a little bit. But I'm very excited to get. Um, you know, people call me a lot of times the most polarizing player in disc golf. This this Nico might be you know giving me a run for my money here. Um, very very interested to kind of see what's going on. With Nico this offseason, what he is uh, going to be planning on doing. He made a massive announcement. We kind of alluded to what we thought it could be when he just had like that, you know, signing. Um, we now know what that is. We're going to talk to him about that. Um, but while we wait, let me give you, uh, I've got a segment, segment coming up here. Well, we'll do this. We'll give, we'll give, uh, we'll give hats off to Kristen Tatar. Kristen Tatar, nominated for the Estonian Female Athlete of the Year. There's only eight nominees. Wow. That's a big deal. That's insane. That's for her country? Yes. Yes. She's going to win it. Like, if disc golf was somehow in the Olympics, I think she would be, like, the flag bearer. Yeah, she would be the one walking it. She'd be the one walking in with the flag. That's Mm -hmm. huge. That's so sick. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, what else do I got here? Uh, I can do a Twitter hot take. Let's do a Twitter hot take. Hit me. Um, cold weather disc golf is not fun. No. And it actually hurts your fundamentals. Thoughts on that? Like, I don't think anyone thinks it's fun. No one thinks going out in the snow is fun, but do you think it hurts your fundamentals? Yeah. You mean, of course it does. It hurts your fingers People, when you throw. That it definitely does. It you definitely know, hurts it's your like, fingers. You're putting. You can't feel your hand. Like this, my biggest thing with like cold weather golf that I feel like is like the hardest thing to do is warming your hand up, then going straight to the putter. It's cold. Now your hand's oh, no, kind of sweating, block. and all of a sudden it's like <laughs> your grip is wild. You're just like no clue. Like yeah. I don't know. I feel like. Yeah powder bags are super important because they give you like the same texture every time or whatever. Or I, I like either lick my fingers or I blow into my hand to get that same texture over and over again. When it's cold, it's impossible. No clue where the thing's going. The texture's wild. It hasn't happened to me. I've heard stories of it being so cold that if you throw like old baseline plastic and it, it hits the tree the right way, it just like crumbles into a bunch of pieces. Oh, yeah. Like that doesn't that doesn't sound fun at all. Oh, I've seen many of disc explode. And then you you know what the rule is, Brody? It's hilarious. You know where you yep, play it? The, I think it's any piece. Is it the biggest piece or it's any the piece? It's the biggest piece. That's it's where you have piece. to go. Okay. Yes. 
that that sounds like a, a perfectly PDGA rule to me. All right, we got him here. Let's bring him in. Nico LaCastro, ladies and gentlemen. Finally made it on tour life. We've been talking about this for several months now about when, when you were going to finally make your appearance. It is now my, uh, and, and I'm very happy because there's a lot to discuss, Nico. A lot is going on. A lot has been going on these last couple weeks. So I don't know if you planned this perfectly or if it just worked out this way, but uh, how's it going, brother? It's going pretty good, man. Not too bad. I was out uh, helping design a disc golf course today. Lone Star reached out to me and they had this, this new course project lined up. So I went to go see the new property and uh, I was, I spent most of the day doing that. So that was, it was fun. It's a good time. Okay. Well, you mentioned it. So let, let's talk about it. A lot of talk on Lone Star right now, right? Right. Uh, there was, there was the signing of the dog. There was the, everyone that like applied to be on the ambassador team or ranger team or whatever it was called. Everyone got it. There was all that. And then now the last few days, crazy stuff is going on. No one knows what's happening. Um, so I'm, let me break down what has happened. Like the, the major things that are going right is we see Chandler Kramer leave Lone Star. We right. see, uh, someone makes a tweet alluding that like Robert Burridge isn't coming back to Lone Star, which Robert Burridge breaking news is coming back. He just resigned. He posted that on his, his Instagram. So congrats to him. Um, we see hooligan depart from Lone Star. They tweet out after much consideration, we have decided to part ways with Lone Star disc as our manufacturer. The past year and a half have been amazing. And we truly appreciate Lone Star for helping us get up and running. Then you have Josh Hofstra, who was, I believe, the marketing, um, one of the marketing heads at Lone Star. Uh, he ends up leaving, but doesn't really have anywhere to go, which also Chandler Kramer like leaves and kind of crowdsources to his followers like, hey, who should I who should I play with next? Who should sign me? Uh, so he, it doesn't seem like he really has any idea where he's going. And then Josh Hostra also on Twitter says it all boils down to one person making bad business decisions for a company. That's it. Man, you what guys are what you is guys, happening, you guys, Nico? You guys are coming in hot. You want me to answer all the questions? I thought we were going to ease into this. We were going to talk a little you bit. Brought up, you brought up Lone no, 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 Star no, no. to start, thought, and no one knows what the heck's happening. I should have known you guys were coming in hot. I thought we were going to ease into it. Let's talk a little bit about the Pro Tour. You know? We'll get to the good stuff here. Well, I, I want to talk about your course. I want to get all that. I will get into it. But, I mean, the big question right now is Lone Star. Like, that – and you can say what you want as far as like bad, bad, uh, bad pub, uh, what is it? Bad, um, press, good press, whatever people are talking about Lone Star oh, yeah. and, and no one has any, I don't think anyone outside of the bubble knows what's going on. So are you able to fill us in a little bit on what's happening over there? Are I you mean... still with Lone Star? I'm I'm definitely currently still with Lone Star. Okay. I, you know I have a multiple year agreement with Lone Star Disc, but as far as any of that goes, I think those questions cannot be directly answered by me. I think that I could give some insight. I believe that the company has to make certain business decisions based on, you know, how they want their business to run and operate. And I really think it comes down to they they want to focus more on like 
amateur players and getting people to just promote the sport of disc golf and focus on juniors and amateurs more than putting their money into just professionals. So I think that the first couple years of business, they definitely, they put a lot into disc golf and into the industry. They sponsored a, a fair amount of players. They came out with a lot of molds. So I think it's just you know, budgeting and, and figuring out what's best for their company in the long run, which I, you know, I've had some conversations and I, I believe it comes down to just focusing on the new players and the new people that are playing disc golf and not putting everything into the, the pro side. So that's kind of where I believe gotcha. it is. Well, maybe we'll have, maybe, maybe we'll have this Joff Hostro guy come on. Uh, maybe someone from Lone Star will want to come on and kind of, yeah. cause what it sounds like, it sounds like again, if, if I get canned from my job, right, if I get fired from my job, is there more of a chance of me maybe saying some stuff that might not be true and then the company's saying? So we might have to try to get a little bit more to the bottom of it, even if it will come out to this. But my only interaction with Lone Star and Yuli, I don't know what your interaction has been. My only interaction was the tournament that we played down in Austin, the Texas State Championship. Yeah. I love that tournament. That was my only interaction with Lone Star. They sponsored it. It seemed like they were the ones that kind of said, this is the, the course. Um, it seemed like, and I know the people at Belton also, we used to play up at Belton. I know they were also affiliated as well. But a lot of times these tournaments, like D-Glow, Discraft is a major, major uh, person at D with the D-Glow tournament. So my interaction with Lone Star, other than all the social media stuff, has been a positive one. Say, what do you have to say I, no, about I, I've, I've met uh, a few of them and only good things to say about them. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they've done a lot for the disc golf community in a short period of time. I think, I know for a fact they're sponsoring a lot of the, uh, the college teams and they really want to focus on like the new players and the, the new up and comers. And I, I feel like that's part of the direction of the company and where they want to go is just getting new players to promote the sport of disc golf, you know? Yeah. And I mean, obviously the way that they're going about like the way that there is, is it Ranger team? I don't want to say it incorrectly. It is. Is it it is. Okay. Right. Yeah. I can see, I can see how that is beneficial for some right of where, Hey, I don't have money to buy discs. Um, this helps me out, get some free discs, whatever. I can see how that works. I know some, some, some companies can definitely abuse that. Right. And I've talked about that on here of where, Hey, if a company says we're going to send you a couple free discs, but then the rest of your discs have to be our discs only that could end up being not a great deal for you. Right. You kind of have to see what makes sense for you. Right. Um, and there could be just some things that are like a little bit of an oversight, right? Like the dog signing, like there, there, there could just be a little bit of an oversight of like, Hey, we're everyone that's hey, coming man, in. We've seen this dog play before. We don't know. We don't know. Could, don't I, don't think, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. I feel like, you know, it's no, to me for it's my funny. Time, I thought it was funny. I was it's just funny. like, that's cool. We got a dog on the team. <laughs> you know the what thing, I mean? The thing that they did really well with that is they rolled with it. Right. right. If they would have, if they would have tried to be like, no, 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 we didn't sign a dog. No, no. Like they tried it that. No, they put the dog on the website. Like they, they rolled with it. Right. Yeah. And so I think, I think that's huge. It's like rolling with the punches. Uh, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to say stupid stuff. You just got to sometimes roll with the punches. So, all right, let's, let's get to the actual big news and why uh, a big reason why we wanted you on the show. 
you decide to post this freaking little cryptic thing the other day of where you're like, ooh, what's going on? And everyone in the comments trying to guess, like, what's he, is he leaving Lone Star? What's happening? People, I didn't even realize you had like a product in the thing that people were thinking like he was getting sponsored by that product. Turns out, and we'll pull it up and I'll, re I'll read it off here for the people that maybe haven't seen it. Turns out you, uh, you bought a disc golf course. And um, let's see here. Oh, is my internet like somehow slow on everything but here? Oh, here we go. So you say lots of paperwork later. I finally closed on 130 acres to build a championship level disc golf course in Pro Shop in Houston, Texas. I'm excited to share this project with the community. We plan to offer a fun and recreational style layout uh, on the property as well as a driving range and glow course. Thank you to Lone Star for their support throughout the year. The Houston disc golf scene for welcoming me and the entire disc golf community for sharing the passion of disc golf. Thank you to all the people who have showed love along the way. Can't wait to share more about this venture. And it goes on to kind of show like this aerial, beautiful, beautiful uh, property that you have. Oh, so yeah. first question, how did you find this property? Where, where, where did this come from? To be honest, I feel like it kind of fell on my lap in the sense that during Texas days, I came out here and I stayed with a friend, Grant Fisher. He, uh, he has a property where I'm staying now. He's got a private disc golf course on like 15 acres. And uh, I was parked out here and we just stayed in touch. He hit me up and sent me a message and was like, I have something that you might want to be involved in. And I, we went back and forth. He showed me some pictures. He told me about this course that that has the potential to turn into a championship level uh, disc golf course and I I took a chance on it I flew out here at the beginning of the off season and I just I took a gamble you know I got like a $500 flight back and forth just to see the property and then once I put my eyes on it I was like yes this I see the opportunity in it you know what I mean there's just I think Houston is one of the biggest areas for disc golf and we have a lot of, a lot of people a lot of clubs a lot of members and uh the property's amazing you know i bought my first chainsaw and i've been out there doing some some real labor some work and it, it makes me feel good you know just to just to start working on a project and i feel like you know it's something i've wanted to do for a really long time and i've been i've had my hand in different course designs you know throughout my career but i feel like this is the first time that I'm going to build a course from the beginning stages and see it all the way through. So it's a, it's a hundred percent committed effort and there's a lot of work to do, but luckily I feel like I have, I have a lot of people on my side out here and there's, there's been a lot of people that have already stepped out to come out and help me work on the course. And, uh, you know, we're partnering with, with several people and we want to make it like truly a disc golf destination where people, I think people are going to want to come check this one out. I think it's going to be on the bucket list for sure. You know, we're already up to like a par 70 and I think we, we could definitely make it a par 72 and we we're going to have a championship layout, but I also, I want to offer the recreational side of disc golf too. So we're going to have some shorter tee pads and, yeah. Is there enough room for multiple courses or is it just going to be one championship courses with different tee pads all the way down the line? We definitely have room for multiple courses, but right now I want to focus on the championship layout. You know, the, the, tur the tournament, the circuit is going to start very soon. And uh, I'm, I'm just committed to trying to get this thing off the ground before I get back on tour. And we all know how quickly two or three months goes by when you're, 
when you're not playing on the tour. So that was, yeah. that was going to be my next question. So you're not, you're not playing on slowing down next year for touring. You're going to do a full tour. I'm, I'm definitely planning on doing a full tour. I, I considered the option to take like the first month off tour and, and continue to work out here. But, uh, We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I think we're going to be able to finish the project and have the course and pro shop ready to launch. It's been it's been a nonstop commitment. You know, I've been on the phone and emails and and ordering discs and ordering stuff and and talking to uh, contractors and and making sure we're going to get this thing off the ground. So I have somebody over there coming tomorrow to work on the flooring, putting some shelves in there, setting up a point of sale system. So you know when you it's a multi-layered project, you know, it's, there's a lot of acres to cover and you know, it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of effort to see it all the way through, but, but we've already, we've been out there and we have a lot of the holes already, you know, cut down with trees. So the next part of the project is going to, is going to be getting a hydro axe in there and literally just laying oh. down these, turning it into mulch at that point. That, How's yeah. been the community around there? Have they, have they, been super supportive of the of the project i mean to be honest people have mostly had all like positive reaction to to trying to put a championship level course and people are saying that houston really needs a big boy course and uh like a training facility so you know the long-term goal in this is to eventually have a, a pro tour stop out there and uh, during the off season, I'd like to set up, you know, training camps, you know, to set it up and invite some other pros out and kind of make it like, uh, Yuli might be familiar, but Camp Woodward, they did this in skateboarding yep. where, where they yep. have pros. And Brody, you might have heard of that too, but, yeah. you know, that's the goal is to create a training facility. And I feel like that's a step in the right direction for the future of disc golf is, is having these private facilities that can they can just raise the bar of what, what disc golf could be. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we had kale on just before you and I was talking about how, you know, you have kale kind of being one of the first, I'm sure there's probably other, someone other than kale. Um, and then Paul Dylan getting into the course that were, you know, the chess.com end of invitational. Now you here um, getting some land as well. So it's all, I think it's all good things. For, for disc golf, for sure. Any uh, course names? I saw Indian Shores. Is that? That's is that... the area in the community, and I think we're just going to run with it and call it the Indian Shores Disc Golf Club. You know, I want to okay. set up a country club style setting and, and open up for memberships and make it affordable to the community and not, not try to set the bar at such a, like, high dollar rate that it's going to be hard to get people. I just want to charge, you know, 10, $15 and, and have some golf carts available for people to come out and just have that private area. So one of our, uh, one of our favorite things to do at foundation is when I first got into it is kind of sit around and always just like, be like, like, what the heck is this person going to be doing? Like when they stop <laughs> touring, like, yeah, they, they don't have any money. Like what? Now, obviously, there's a little bit more money getting involved into into disc golf, but for a while there, there was a lot of guys that would, you know, they would just tour around, they'd make money, they spend the money they made, and they just keep kind of going. Is this like a long term investment plan too? A little bit of where you're like, hey, when yeah. I can't play anymore, like this is something that I can put a lot of my time effort in, and hopefully, this is the you know long term investment. 
I definitely I'm looking at long term on a situation like this. You know, it's like I said, this is a 100 percent commitment in order to see it all the way through. You know, a disc golf course doesn't just happen overnight and it takes I've already been out there for hundreds of hours just on the course design layout. Before we ever cut a tree, I've already spent a lot of time just walking into the property and seeing all the beauty. You know what I mean? Like my uncle has designed courses his whole life. So I spent a lot of time just going through the design process and um, I'm excited, you know, like every day I wake up, I'm excited to get back out there to the course and just offer the community something really nice in Houston and then just eventually have people come in from like out of state is, you know, create a course that people want to come to from other surrounding areas, not just Houston. What are going to be some like the biggest hurdles that you guys are going to have to go through? I mean, there's a, there's a list of hurdles that I'm going to have to get over, but but right now it's it's the it's the timing of it. You know, I want to have the course operational by March, so I think that's the oh, wow. first hurdle that I need to get through. And if I want to, there's enough land that that we can we can lay out 18 baskets and have a playable course. But I want to like I want to get those wooded holes carved out so it's not just a regular bog off style open course. So there's there's several factors I'm thinking of shade it's going to get really hot in in texas so i want to create as many shaded holes as possible and that means going through the woods and using all all of the land not just not just the open fairways gotcha what is the uh have you already started looking into how to get a course potentially on tour have you already started to make those connections with yeah, uh, the people on the bit, disc golf pro tour a little bit i actually talked to uh vandegrift out here he's he's kind of one of the main guys that he he runs a lot of turns so it's gorilla disc golf they host a lot of events out in texas so i talked to him and i believe we're going to be able to host the juniors and the the uh the ma4 out here so i think that that during 2024 i think we'll be able to to have the the texas states play some of their rounds out here if we can get the course done in time so there's been a lot of talks with members of the community and the people that are already hosting tournaments out here and such that's sick yeah just seeing the some of the drone footage and stuff it definitely looks like you have some sick land out there but yeah i mean i i wouldn't even be able to tell you the the i, I would have no idea like where to start that's why everyone that's always asked me like hey when are you going to design a course when, i always tell people listen I would have no idea what I was doing. I think my expertise is like a course that's already kind of got the bones. I can kind of come in and be like, Hey, you need to put hazard here. Hey, this needs, this tree needs to go. I'm, I'm think I'm decent at that. Right. I, I would have no idea just being like, Hey, you have to make a hole here. I'd be like, I, I don't, I don't see it. I see a bunch of trees. So for yeah. the, uh, Nico, for for the listeners, can you paint a picture of what what style of course is this going to be? Because you're you're talking about woods and shade and everything, and for people who want to make a destination, right. um, like trip, yeah. explain what what are you trying to design at this course? So the main part is offering a championship layout that's going to really challenge people. I'm going to have a lot of par fours, and I think right now we have 
at least four par fives on the course on the championship layout. But when I'm wanting to make it a, a destination, I'm also thinking we have to offer the blue level tees and even the novice tees if we really want like families to come out to the venue and not just people that throw long shots. You know, I really want to offer a variety of different shots. So, I want to have a little bit of everything. You know, we, we've got five different ponds on, on the um, oh, property. Wow. So we're going to have several water carries. You know, I want to have left to right shots, low ceiling. There's going to be some rollers and a lot of placement shots. You know, you know, we play, we play these courses out on tour that really turn into a, like a long drive contest. And I don't want it just to be a long drive contest out there. I want to make sure that there's specific landing zones that set you up for the next play. You know, both of you guys play golf, so I'm sure you know you're pretty aware. Yeah, I of, love that. You have to you have to set yourself up in, in golf for those second and third shots when you're creating par fours and par fives. So, you know, I feel like I have good insight on what it takes to design a championship level course, but it's also I'm learning along the way too. You know, I did I did take some risk and some gamble on on doing this, and you know, I'm looking at the at the long term, the risk reward in it's going to feel good to, to see people enjoying themselves on the property. And when it finally comes together, I think that's when, that's when I'll be satisfied is, is when you hear people say that was the best hole that I've ever played in disc golf. And, and right now I feel like we have some of the best holes, like definitely in the state of Texas, but you know, I'm going to make it the best I can. And also when it comes to designing these courses, like you noticed out at Maple Hill, it's always the changes in the progression of a course continue after one, two, five, after 10 years, it's not the exact same course that you play after year one and year two. So, so my plan is, is to do, you know, turf tee pads at the beginning so I don't get locked into holes that I want to change over time. So there's a lot of thought that, go that goes into this whole process of designing a disc golf course and, and making sure that it's, it's going to be playable. And I want people to be happy. I don't want them to just go out there and get so beat up by the course. They never want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm always shocked when I see, when we go up to GMC and I see the, the, the resort people, you know, rent, rent some, uh, rent the discs out and they're, you know, they're playing, they're playing those championship level courses for the first time, like disc golf, and they're throwing like 50, 70 feet. I'm like, how, I'm like, how is that fun? Like, what is, <laughs> like that can't, that can't be fun at all. Um, obviously it's a beautiful, beautiful scenery and everything like that. But I love the idea that you're, you're saying, Hey, we're not going to make a course. And then after the fact, be like, Oh crap, we need to like put shorter tees. Like you're going right. into it thinking, Hey, we also need to have this designed so that, amateur beginner players could come out and still have a fun time. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And it's one of those things. Every time that I go back out to the property, I'm little tweaks are being made where I'm moving the tee pad left 20 feet. I'm moving it up. I'm, I'm still modifying it as I go along. But right now I'm, I'm pretty happy about how far along we've, we've got on the course in a short period of time. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I want to see it all the way through and it's going to, it's going to take a little bit of time and it's going to take a lot of commitment. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy with where it's at right now. 
What about like its location? Is it off the beaten path, like from let's say like downtown Houston or where other courses? A little bit. It's a little bit off the beaten path. It's not directly in the city of Houston. I'm gonna say it's probably a. That's probably minute, a good thing. A thirty yeah. minute trip out there, but when it comes to disc golf, I think people people aren't too scared to hop in their car and drive. Well, thirty, 30 minutes isn't that far. Right. Right. So it's not it's not way out there. I would say it's closer to a major city than the preserve. And and okay. I think the preserve seems to be doing pretty solid with the traction that they get from yep. Minneapolis and St. Paul. So I'm hoping that we can we can bring people out and from the response, the public response so far, people seem excited about it in this area for sure. That's so awesome. that makes me excited too. I'm I'm feeding off that same excitement. I'm like, man, I really got to get out there. I gotta I gotta make sure this course is amazing because it's you know it's got my name attached to it, and I'm, I want I want to be proud of the outcome of this project. Yeah. I think you're also making it like a challenging course, one that has length in the sense of like how many throws you're going to have to throw out there. I think that's a big separator. You know, being someone that lives in Dallas, Texas, a lot of Texas courses are very similar that they're old par three courses and, you know, having a course in the area where you're like, okay, I can go out there and play disc golf and, and actually challenge myself. I think that's a big big uh step in the right direction as far as like trying to get someone to maybe drive 30 minutes or 40 minutes to a course versus just making another pitch and putt course yeah i want to have some other perks your pizza's there (laughs) i heard i heard a dog in the background um but that yuli yuli your pizza (laughs) (laughs) so i like i said i want to provide some other perks to the community like we have the driving range so one of my thoughts is having enough discs available where people can go in the pro shop and test out the Frisbee right on the driving range before you buy it. And I feel like that's something that could help get people out there and make sure that the the store is stocked with the latest and greatest of discs from all the companies. So, uh, you know, I'm already ordering discs and everything is a process. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a very large project to tackle, but I'm, I'm, I'm working, I'm working every day. I'm, just want to want to make sure that it pops off the way I see it in my head. Love that. All right. Another post you made on Instagram, jujitsu. You're in jujitsu now. What, uh, what was the, um, you know, what was the drive to go out there and, and try to learn a new, new hobby, a new craft? You know, I've always, I've always been a follower of like MMA and I've always liked to wrestle around and stuff. So I just thought, why not learn from some pros? Why not actually learn this art and also like the workout side. I feel like I've never got a better workout than I do from the jujitsu training. So, so part of it was just off season training. And then the other part was I I would like to learn how to defend myself properly and just, just learn, man. You know, I just want to be able to absorb some knowledge and that's it. I I love UFC. I love MMA. So I don't see this as something that I'm going to ever really get into like competition but the thought has crossed my mind. Like I've, I've went into some pretty hardcore wrestling matches with, with some of the guys there and it's, it's fun. Like, I really feel like I have a passion to do it. And, and I, it, it's good for you. You know, I think it's, it's something that comes very natural for me. And it's something that, that humans have been doing since the beginning of time. And uh, it's a lot of fun. So I'm definitely, I'm enjoying it. 
We've all seen those like public fights and bar fights that break out, and there's like that one guy that knows jujitsu and just gets his hands on him. Yeah, and it's Cl- like it climbs like, him like a tree. It's completely like yeah, so it like completely silences, cancels out the threat, and it's just like okay, like this guy's not moving. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. Um, all right, let's let's jump in. Let's jump back into uh, some other stuff here. If you're ready to go, Nico, because I, I know I, I know you're ready for it. I'm as ready all right. as I get. So my first question is: If you could go back in time, would you change anything? The answer is yes. I think I think the answer would be yes for everybody in the world. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. of course, I, I would go back and change some things. But I also look back and I'm pretty grateful for every avenue that got me to where I'm at, whether it was uh, triumphs or downfalls. You know, I feel like that's that's part of life. That's part of growing. And yeah, of course, I would I would change some things about my life for sure. Do you, do you like, do you like kind of playing the heel role in a way? Do you like having, cause, cause the majority of people, you know, I think me and you, me and you are similar in this way of where we actually have vocal people that do not like us. Right. Um, but the majority of people on tour, they don't really post on social media. They Mm -hmm. don't really do, you know, they don't have outbursts or anything like that while they're playing. So there's not really a any sort of negative attraction towards them. Right. Um, do you, do you like having that side though? Do you like being the heel or do you wish, you know, like, do you wish you could go back and kind of change some things to where you're like, Hey, Hey, that's not me. Well, of course, I think that's a little bit sensitive topic because I know that I've, you know, I've had some outbursts in the past and I've, I've had some things regarding my image that I feel like my name has been, they've, you know, in a way, I feel like my name has been ran through the mud and, and kind of like brushed under the rug in a lot of different ways. And, and, you know, as a man and just as a human, I think you want people's respect. You want the respect from your peers. And you, of course I want, you know, everybody's respect in the whole disc golf community. So, so yeah, a part of me, you know, wishes that I could have done certain things different, but then again, I really think about it and I'm like, I watch sports. I watch a lot of different sports and there's nothing that I've ever done that you haven't seen in every other sport from at least half of the players in all these leagues. You can name every league and people play with emotion. It's when you're, when you're a competitor, it's very often that emotions are part of competition. So, you know, I'd be lying if I said I haven't let my emotions get the best of me, but then again, I feel like part of my emotions is what makes me who I am. And, you know, you know, I, I have a lot of passion. I I have a lot of love for the sport of disc golf. And uh, I feel like a lot of times that it's, it's been broadcasted in a not my best light. You know what I'm saying? People don't get to see the full story. They get to see a five or 10 second clip and then a collage of my worst well, are, ever caught yeah, well, on tape. Well, what are, what are some stories or some things that you you've been involved in that you feel like you're being, you know, misunderstood or people maybe are taking out of context. Like, are there specific things that you can recount of like, Hey, people think this happened. That's not really what happened to where you can kind of clear the air now? I don't know if I'll ever be able to completely clear the air in the sense that 
there's already there's footage out there of me being upset but but i don't think that makes me a terrible person that i've been upset over the years i don't i don't think people can really pull up a lot of dirt on me that i've actually been mean or ruthless to people you know what i'm saying and i think that the people that know me best know that i I do a lot for the people around me and I'm always giving out discs at the parks and I'm always trying to, you know, I'm trying to support people that are going through hard times in their life and just real life shit. You know what I'm saying? So, so I feel good about the person that I am, but yeah, of course, sometimes I think, man, that's when I see the internet drama and the people that still have negative things to say about me. Yeah. That stuff does hurt sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, to go back, I want to be respected by people, and that that's very important to me, especially at this stage in my career, that I want the respect from, from the fellow competitors, and I want the respect from our community. So, yeah, it's, it's something that I think about. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think, you know, on one side – if you if you pulled the majority of your actions, and I'm just gonna talk about the stuff like on on the course, right? Because right, I, I get like you know you see people commenting about stuff that you've posted on social media that is not revolving around disc golf. That might be more you know whether it's religious beliefs, whether it's political beliefs. Like I always try to stay away from that stuff as much as possible. Right. So if I just if I just plucked you off and put you in another sport and you acted the same way, I, I think you would blend in way more than people think. Um, yeah. yeah and I we just so, saw, Brody. I mean, we just saw Draymond green, like physically assault multiple people. Uh, we've yeah, seen, we've seen Ron, we've seen Ron Artest go into the crowd and, and literally try to kill some, a fan. Right. And so like, these are, Sure. There's, there's a lot of emotional outbursts. That's what I was yes. saying earlier. It's like, if you follow sports, there are a lot of emotional outbursts, but I really hope that people don't compare me to Draymond Green. I dislike Draymond Green. I mean, like, I'm not physically I, attacking people out there. I'm not trying to clothesline our competitors. No, I know? think I think part of it is, you know, we play a game of golf, too, is, yeah. Yeah, which is a very, very tone deaf sport as far as that stuff like you're supposed to be well, tone tone down tone yeah, down, down not tone deaf yeah yeah tone where you tone down as far as your emotions right and so when you see big outbursts like like let's use traditional golf for example you don't see those guys with crazy outbursts you do see them with outbursts no they do you oh, no no for, no no let me can i finish my let me finish my point you don't see it because the media is able to cut yes. away, sure. right? And they're trained sure. to do these cutaways. If everybody filmed me, for example, my whole entire career, there's a big old video of me having the worst things ever, right? And, sure. and having my outbursts and everything. Unfortunately, they haven't been caught on camera. And it's just like anything. When they are, it is your responsibility Take ownership of what happened for the world to see. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. And I think that you're one of the one of the only people in the sport that has been caught in these situations and broadcasted to the world. Right. And um, 
Well, you're under a microscope now, too. And, that's, and yeah, exactly. That's, so, that's, that's, the un, that's the unfortunate thing that you, but to be fair, like you've kind of put yourself in that position, exactly. right? Exactly. That, so, that was what I was getting to. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like for me, like I, I've, uh, I've played with you multiple times. Um, I, I even, I think we played at USDGC, I think, last, right? Yes. And I think I, com right. I commented right. to you saying, like, I'd noticed that your pace of play, which is something that, you know, Gannon Burr had this. A lot of people have. Uh, uh, Jacob Curtis has this. Anyone that plays super slow, fans hate it. Mm -hmm. So I commented after a round saying, like, I noticed that you were actively, like, trying to play faster. And so um, that was something that I noticed. So I've never really had issues with you playing in person. The only thing that really stuck out to me that I was like, ooh, was the obviously the, the incident at the European Open, right? Sure, yeah. Um, sure. and I didn't, I didn't get to get the entire, um, the entire story. I wasn't there. So I couldn't see what he was saying. I couldn't, I couldn't see his eyes. I couldn't see really the face. So obviously there could have been some of him provoking, uh, provoking you to kind of be combative in the way you did. Uh -huh. Um, I think you, I, and again, I think you would probably agree with me. Uh -huh. If you could go back in time, you'd probably handle that situation differently. The one thing, the one thing that the one thing that really bugged me and correct me if this isn't right is like after the round, you didn't want to settle it is that that was the word on the street is like they were trying to get in contact with you, PGA officials to talk to you about it. And the word on the street was like, you were basically avoiding it or wouldn't want to talk, didn't want to talk to anyone. What, what was, what, what actually went down after the round? I mean, I guess I'll get into the details of part of this story. So to be honest, I, I sat inside the, uh, the scoring tent for a little while with my, with my shirt over my face like this to hide the tears because I was, I was extremely emotional at the time because I knew that this was going to have an extreme backlash. And I was also facing some embarrassment that, that, that this was happening, but also there's a little bit of background on this story. And I really don't, I really don't mind speaking on it because I felt singled out at the time. And not only did I feel singled out, I believe 100% that I was singled out at the time because there was an official following my card. And therefore I felt, I felt at a slight disadvantage and there was there was two officials following the card so there was just like i felt i felt a tension within myself and after, were they requested after, do you know uh, if they were like was did someone on the card say yeah, like oh these I, officials I actually, are following us because they're requested before, or no 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 i actually I believe that that there was somebody sent directly to my card before the round even started. There was okay. there was that's why I felt like I was at a disadvantage because if I was the only one being timed, then then I felt that that I, it was an unfair situation and I was holding on to that and by the time there was a lot of bottled up um by by hole 18, I was shooting one of the best rounds on the course, and I moved I moved from down the list up into the top 10 at the European Open, and uh, 
it took a lot for me to get out there to the European Open. Like it, it, there was, there's a background story. I was up for for multiple days and had canceled flights, and it took me a really long time and a huge financial effort to get to the European Open. So it was just like I just felt like there was there was a world of pressure on my shoulders, and and the pressure got to me, and I I snapped out a little bit, but but. I never laid hands on nobody. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't cussing at anybody. It was just, it was a very tense situation that I was embarrassed about. So after, after I left the scoring area, I, I went to the vehicle and then, um, Jeff Jaquat, he was the first person that gave me a warning on, I think it was like hole eight or nine. And I was, I was waiting for people to clear the fairway. That's why I wasn't throwing my shot. So, so therefore I felt like I was singled out at the time. And then, then he was the one that went to speak with me. He wanted to talk with me after, after I got a stroke, which I felt like at the time, I felt like I was being robbed with like someone reached into my pocket and took money out of my pocket. So that's, that's the internal feeling that I was dealing with during that moment and for him to to want to come speak to me afterwards it wasn't like he was it was just a very tense moment that i wish i could take back in time like there was just so much bottled up emotion and animosity and and like i literally had tears bawling out of my eye uncontrollably like this is one of the first times in my life that i ever remember crying to the fact where I couldn't even control myself. Like I was like wimp, like it was, it was just, it was emotionally paralyzing at the time. So, you know, I went in a little bit of those details and it was just not my most proud moments in my life to go through something like that. And those next couple months after that, bad that was really bad for me that was really 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 hard times in my life i i got dropped by both my sponsors i felt like everybody in my life turned their back on me and it was just uh i was depressed like i that was that was the hardest times in my life that i've ever had to go through a hundred percent um so yeah man that's that's a little bit of the 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 background on that story, there was, uh, it was hard. It was hard times. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody to go through that type of public shame and humility. And, uh, I was sad, man. I turned off my phone. I didn't, I didn't answer my phone for a month. I, I literally sat inside the house and didn't even talk to anybody. Like I, I, I didn't even go out to the disc golf course because I was so embarrassed. Like I didn't, I was tired of people talking down on my name. Like I came to a pinnacle in my life and my disc golf career. And I felt like at that moment, everything was crumbling. My entire life was crumbling to pieces. So I felt like it was just like a rebirth after that. Once I got over those stages of feeling like down and humiliated and depressed and embarrassed, I had to rebuild my entire life and then I had to rebuild my image. And that's why I feel, I feel, I feel good in a sense that 
I've had to, I've had to come from a lot. I've, I, you know, I, I truly believe that, that I can write a book about my life, like a real underdog story, you know, somebody that came from nothing and ended up making it past, uh, challenging times and get to the the better side of life because i know a lot of other people are dealing with with very hard situations that they couldn't even explain to you on a podcast how did you how did you get how did you get over those that like that depression and and stuff um like what were the were there certain people or was it like a combination of a bunch of stuff I th- I think it was there were there were people in my corner no matter what the, you know as much as people were hating on me there there was some positivity coming my way and saying we believe in you Nico I know you can get through this and I think that I just had to like reach deep within myself and and find the belief that that even though I make mistake that I w- that I got caught up in a in a bad spot like I, I knew that I made a major mistake, especially like publicly on the 18th hole of the European Open in front of the European nation. And for people to see me like that, I just, uh, I knew that I had to turn it around. I wasn't just going to stay depressed for the rest of my life. And that's why, you know, I, I want to create a story in my life of, of success, you know, that, that anybody in the world can overcome the worst of trials and tribulation. And like I was just pointing at, as much as we love disc golf, disc golf isn't, isn't every part of life. It's only, it's only a fraction of a person's life. You know what I'm saying? So like, I just had to find the love, you know what I'm saying? Like I really had to focus on, on the love and and knowing that I had, I had to have love for myself, but also, also like feel the love from other people because there were people that were, that were showing me love. Even at my darkest hour, there were still people that were trying to, to, to shine light on me. Do you think think getting put in that situation again, that you would, you would do it differently? I know it's like, of course you're going through this but i I feel like i feel like that's what a lot of people want to hear from you you know what i mean it's like the growth of of you and being like hey if i was in that situation again i'm not that guy like what are some things you know i don't want to have to get in anybody's face or nothing like that you know as much as much as i can be a, a fiery person i don't i don't want to uh i don't want to really bring any type of like pain or discomfort to anybody and I feel like that was a very uncomfortable moment not only for myself but for the official and the people in Europe that you know people that was that's a prestigious event and and uh there's a lot of like respect and honor in Europe and in Finland and people are you know I think they're they're proper and formal and I think for people to see that it it just made me not only was it a bad look, but it made me feel not good inside. Like yeah. internally, that was the hardest thing that I think I've ever had to overcome in my life. Is just, I don't think many people can relate to being shamed publicly by hundreds and thousands of people. Like I had, I had death threats from people that were sending me messages saying, if I ever see you on the disc golf course, I'm going to kill you. Why don't you come up and say that stuff to me and that type of shit? Like, like I said, I wouldn't wish that type of situation upon anybody. So of course, yeah, if I can go back in time, I would have loved to handle that situation yeah. 
a lot differently. So what are some steps, you know, you mentioned you want to have the respect from, you know, your peers, the players right. on tour <laughs> from fans as well. So what are some steps that people can look forward to seeing from you in 2024? Um, with new changes? Like what are, what are things that you're going to be working on? What are things that you're going to be focusing on to try to maybe someone that's like, Hey, I'm kind of on the fence on Nico. He's done some stuff that I don't like, yeah. but then there's other stuff that I do like, like, what are some things that you're going to be changing with either, you know, your, your actual emotions, like how you handle yourself, your play, like wh what are some things that people can expect to see in 2024? Well, I don't see myself ever getting caught up in a situation like that again. So a part of it is is being able to learn from mistakes that I've that I've made. But um, you know, I'm going through changes all the time. You know, I'm I'm trying to progress as a person. I'm trying to focus on my health, my career, and just being the best person that I can be on and off the disc golf course. So so I think if anybody ever comes up to me and they really speak to me they can make a judgment for themselves about what kind of person I am and how I treat people. It's, you know, I don't want people to just think about me from the public point of view. You know, if people have anything to say, I want them to come up to me and speak to me. I think I'm a very personable human being. Like I think it, I'm, I'm easy to talk to and I'm, you know, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a friendly person. So I think that it's just about making that judgment for yourself and not just, not just judging somebody from from what you see on the internet the, the yep. internet only shows a piece of somebody's life you know so i think as far as like what they can expect to see from me just i try not to have these crazy expectations but i just i want people to to see me for who i am and not just not just bits and pieces of information. Like if somebody wants to learn about Nico Castro, I want them to come up and have a conversation with me and then they can make a judgment from there. Yeah. But there's, there, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of fans out there. Not right. every single one of those people is going to be able to come up and, and have a personal conversation. A lot of them can, but uh, you know, you're speaking to a lot of people right now. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. So what is the question that you, that you want to ask? Well, you know, I mean, I think, you know, when you look at it and again, like me and you are very similar in the sense that we have what you would call like haters, right? People that will go on our social media and make negative posts. I, I think maybe some of the things that I have done that have created that, yeah. I don't think if I went back in time, I don't think I would change anything. Right. Like if I have an opinion on someone yeah. that isn't a positive opinion and that now creates someone that was a fan of that person or whatever, now that, you mm. know, not like me, like I'm, I'm just going to keep it real. Right. Right. But I think with you, like oh. there's been things like we talked about the European open. We've talked about some of the, like the outbursts that you've had during tournaments. Um, and then the other thing too, is like the pace of play issues, right? Like, right. and those are the, like, are we, are we going to see, changes are we expected to see changes in those things going into 2024 
Yeah, I believe that I've worked on my routine a lot and the whole pace of play thing, I, I think that I've developed a much better routine than I've had in the past. So I'm hoping that that will definitely have less people hating on me. But the internet is a vicious place. I don't know if I'll ever be able to stop people's negative opinion. But if I focus on the positives and I focus on building community, I focus on positive relationships, you know, focus on just working with the youth, focus on my disc golf course out here, and just focus on being the best player that I can without having future outbursts and without having a future in disc golf where people only think about me as the time violation guy, the <laughs> European Open guy. You know, I want yeah. people to see me in the light. I want them to see me win tournaments and work on my time and just – I'm trying to be the best person I can, man, and, and I hope I hope that the community can see that in the future, and I hope that the people that, that we play against, all our competitors, and I think that I, that I do have good camaraderie with, with all of you guys. You know, I, you know, people might say something behind each other's back every once in a while. That's, that's, that's life, man. People, people always have something to say, but when it really comes down to it, I feel like I have a good relationship with everybody on tour. I don't, I don't, people always ask like, who do you hate to play with Nico? And that's always a hard question for me. And I'm just like, I don't really think I dislike anybody on tour. I don't think I really dislike to play with anybody on the disc golf tour. So eh, maybe that's for a different podcast. There's definitely a couple people where if they're having a bad day, I'm like, Oh gosh, I have to play with this guy. Um, yeah, the, but uh, yeah, go ahead, Yuli. No, I was just going to say, I mean, Nico and my career have pretty much paralleled each other since our amateur days. And we've played a lot of golf together over the years. And I have a ton of respect yeah. for him because of, of the grind that he's always had to become a better player. And I've personally seen him do some amazing things on the course and off the course, without a doubt. Um, we've also had our scuffles in rounds, um, but we've maintained a pretty dang good friendship sure. through the sure. whole thing. And I just wish you the best, man. I honestly yeah, do. I hope that you of can course, keep man. working on those things and um, yeah. working on, like you said, in community. I feel like that's a big thing. Right. Help your community. Yeah. And, uh, you know, over time that will help you change, change those things that you want to change. Yeah, All man. Right, we... I'm focused. I'm focused on the future and I'm focused on, you know, it, just, going back to just being the best I can on and off the course. And I, and I want to inspire people too, especially now that I'm 35 years old, I want to inspire people that you can still, you can still win at, at this age. And I feel like I'm, I still have that, that competitive drive to, to want to be the best player in the world. And even though I'm not number one, I still have the belief that I can put together a good weekend of disc golf and come out on top. And I think that alone will, not 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 just change my image for like a positive but i think that'll that'll give me a lot of like fulfillment that all of us we we all want to win we want we keep showing up and we keep taking these beatings on the course because we know that that our best can can oh. still come out on top man and you know i wish the best for for everybody out here on tour because i know what kind of sacrifice it takes to be a professional disc golf player it's all of us no matter what bracket of life or no matter what your background is or if you come from money or if you don't come from money it's still a commitment to go out and be a professional disc golfer and this shit is not easy it's not for everybody it's it's uh, sacrifice and 
all the commitment that that you could ever imagine. You guys know it takes a lot to do an entire year of being on the road, away from your family and away from friends. And we all love it. We all we all share that common passion and the interest that I feel like whether you believe it or not, I feel like everybody's. We almost made it, Yuli. <laughs> we almost right, hopefully... kept him in there. Hopefully he bops back back in because I do have two more questions uh, that I quickly want to get answers from. Um, so Saz, just throw him back in. Uh, interesting there, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um, it's nice to hear the other side of the story. You know what I mean? Because like, like mm -hmm. I said before, and this isn't condoning any behavior or anything, but, you know, in, in other sports, it does happen. It just, it the media can cut away from from certain we, things here here and there and that's that's something that hey it's live man there's no second yeah. delays and like i said like i don't really have any like i don't feel bad because it's like again you put yourself in yeah, this position either. yeah but there is something to be said like there isn't really anyone like nico as as open that he is about it so i think the microscope is on him so much yeah. more than on these other sports that there is so much more commotion, so much more stuff going on. Um, I do think he does have a great personality. Like he isn't a, he isn't, he, you're not going to get just like a, a shell of a person out there. Like if you're going and watching Nico, you're not going to, I wish the shenanigans, I wish the pace of play. I wish those things got eliminated, but like just watching him make that putt on hole 17 at Waco a couple years ago, like, he does give really, really good moments. If he can just dial in those other areas, yep. I think he's a great person to have on tour. That would be oh, my I don't think disc golf would be the same without the guy, man. I, like I said, I played against him for a lot of years. He won four Player of the Year awards yep. in a row. There's a lot of people that don't realize how good he was. He was um, dominant. He, he wasn't just good. He was stretch. the best player we had at that time. Yeah. Um, Silas, let us know if we get him back. Um, all right. Okay. Dang. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe he goes back and listens to this and then he can, he can reach back out to me with these answers. I had two questions. These were my two questions I wanted to know. So Silas, yeah, we'll move on. Cause we are, I do have to go to a Christmas party. We'll move on, but hopefully he can answer these two questions. I want to know how much, how many, uh, Nico stopwatches he sold. Very curious about that. <laughs> And then the other one, I'm very curious to know, like, where his thoughts and feelings are towards Hunter and Trevor. Very, at one point in time, very negative. Very negative. He did not like Hunter and Trevor at all. Um, so I'm very curious to see, has that changed? What's going on there? So maybe we get the answers. Uh, Nico, text me, whatever, um, if that happens. All right. A shocking Terry Miller tweet, Yuli. Terry oh Miller goes to Twitter. And says, am I understanding some of the responses to the Disc Golf Pro Tour awards correctly? Disc Golf Pro Tour. Vote for whomever, whoever, whomever you see fit and wish to choose. Some people. Oh my God. You didn't vote for that person? You're a moron. And you should have your voting privileges revo removed. He continued. Follow up to my original post. Should Disc Golf Pro Tour not even offer voting for FPO Player of the Year? What was the point? Seems like we already knew the answer. He's obviously coming after me. I've been, I've, it's been clear that I've been the most vocal of this issue. 
So he's obviously coming after me being like, he's, he's having the, uh, the typical disc golf, like, hey man, what's the problem? She won. It was, the, what's the big issue? Um, I had a response video. We won't show that because we, um, if you want to see it, you can go to my Twitter. I think very, does a very good job of summarizing my point. And I'll try to do that here again. If we're voting for something and it's obvious and someone doesn't vote for that, they should not vote anymore. That's the point. If it's, if everyone's like, it's obvious this person should win and someone doesn't vote for that person, they should not have a vote because they're voting for some other reason instead of what they should be voting for. He was also incorrect. I think he later um, corrected himself. The Disc Golf Pro Tour did not say vote for whoever you see fit and wish to choose. Someone took a screenshot of what the Disc Golf Pro Tour actually said, and it's very clear saying, if voting, if we can see that voting is for friends, or if there's some sort of reason for why you're voting other than like, this person should deserve the award, then they do have the ability to um, remove your right to vote. Oh my gosh. Not really. No. What about now? Am I, was I still staticky? My phone was just freaking out. Sorry. <laughs> all right. Hopefully you got it off. Um, we won't show the video again, but if you want Johnny disc golf on his Instagram, he did an interview with Ella and posted a, um, a video which he tagged tour life podcast. He kind of posed the same question that we had of like, What's going on here? He asked Ella straight up, Ella Hansen, who was one, I would say, of the people that people um, suspected maybe didn't vote for Kristen Zatar. She later continued, or she later on said that she voted for Kristen Zatar and followed that up with, if you didn't vote for Kristen Zatar, she didn't call him a joke. She called him delusional. So um, it, that was good to hear too, like an FPO player come out and also say like, Kristen Zatar was the rightful winner if you didn't vote for her. Um, my words, you are a joke. All right. Your brother-in-law, Ricky Wysocki, you can try to defend him. I'm very curious with this one. Very curious with this one, Yuli, on what side, I don't know what side of the table you'll be. Ricky Wysocki, hot take. Seems like a lot of players that are switching manufacturers have been kept on the DL. Love to see the players be able to make the announcement and get the hype they deserve instead of everyone trying to leak all their sources on where everyone's going. Drew Gibson responded with hard to have happen when the brands leak the info. Don't act innocent here. I won't elaborate anymore. He responded to Drew's tweet saying, not the point. If I knew know where someone is going, I'm not going to post publicly. I'll respect the player and let them get the hype they deserve. Speculation is great, but full blown posting that someone's going somewhere that the players, uh, that's the player's deal. In my opinion. All right. Yuli. So this was also kind of attack a little bit at my boys, Hunter, Trevor, Griplocked, because when they basically made the podcast saying that Ricky Wysocki was going to go to Dynamic Disc before he had made the announcement, before Dynamic Disc made the announcement, Ricky went on Twitter, called Foundation Disc Golf, the TMZ of Disc Golf, didn't like it, yada, yada. Where do you stand on this? Where is the line? Where... What should happen? What shouldn't happen? What are do's? What are don'ts when it comes to player contracts? Um, it's going to be as quiet as it can be, and then it's going to get leaked. It always gets leaked because the player tells other people, and those people tell people. That's the <laughs> way that it works. 
period. That's how it works. I know it's how it works because that's how I get a lot of sources of people coming to me and be like, hey, guess what? Blah, 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 blah. And then I hear it from somebody else and they're like, yeah, he told me too. And I'm like, got it. If you want it to be, if the player wants it to be hush hush the whole time, don't tell anybody. Zero people. Have your manufacturer, who knows? Don't go to the course, throw a couple discs. Don't go on your little Facebook and click, okay, I want to be involved with this collector group. Don't go sell your discs. Like, it's pretty simple to me. You know what I mean? I think there should there's be a, very, a little bit. It, it's, there's an it's easy the formula. News. Yeah, it's, a, it's news. It's going to get talked about. Eventually, somebody's going to tell the wrong person, and they're going to know. So this is, this is what I'll say on the matter, because I agree with you a lot. If I'm a manufacturer and I tell the player, I tell the player's agent, and then I tell the marketing guy, I tell the budget guy, the finance, whatever. Those are the only people I tell. It's a very controlled environment. Yep. So if it does get leaked, I can start pinpointing like, hey, these are the only people that know, right? And I can try to figure out how it happened. If it comes back that our marketing guy told his buddy that's in the warehouse and then his buddy in the warehouse told his buddies that he played disc golf with and those guys, I'm firing this guy. You're, you're done. You're out, right? Like this is information we want to keep hush hush. Now, if you purposely leak something for hype and all that stuff, that's another whole story. My, my take here is there is a massive difference between me coming to you, Yuli, and saying, Yuli, listen, um, I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Like, I'm leaving Discraft. I'm going to go with Innova. Um, trying to work out some keeks. But hey, listen, I don't want anyone to know this. If I'm telling you that, I'm basically ha putting all my trust that you won't tell anyone. I told oh. you, don't tell anyone. If it comes out, if, I'm the only, if I only tell you and it comes out that other people find out, that's going to put a big a wall in between me and your, your relationship because I can't trust you anymore. I thought we were friends. I thought I could trust you. We, me and you hear a lot of information. We get a lot of stuff. We don't post any of that stuff. If a player is telling me about stuff, I don't post any of that stuff. If they tell me like, I don't want anyone to know this. Now, if I'm getting DMS from 10, 15 people telling me something that, that is speculation. That is, that is <laughs> to me, that is different than Ricky coming to me and saying, Hey, I'm going to dynamic this. And now I break his trust. If Ricky goes to five, six people and tells those people and those people tell people and then those people tell people and it comes and comes to me. That to me is a completely different scenario. Listen, and I, some of these guys are going to get a wide awakening yeah. as the dollar bill signs continue to go up. If they do, more journalists are going to continue to come in. Yeah. And like Hunter and Trevor aren't trying to find information, they get people to send them stuff. Wait until you have a journalist that's like reaching out to people, that's like driving by warehouses and seeing, ah, do we see a car person? It's going to get way worse unless you get this figured out. Listen, here's, here's, I deal with a lot of contracts. I know pretty much where most people are going at all times. I'm deep in there. The player, it's never the manufacturer. It's never the other side of the company. It's never this, that. It's always, always the player telling his buddies and his buddies mm -hmm. telling their buddies. Mm -hmm. 
90% of the time. There is some cases, I'm sure, where there's a leak here or a leak there. Oh, on accident. Oh, I walk into somebody's office and there's a paper there. Like, that stuff happens. You know what I mean? That stuff really happens. But, I, I mean... Imagine somebody, oh, new contract, they get their disc, they go to a, a baseball field, they're throwing mm-hmm. the disc, a dog walker walks by and sees the disc. What if it's a disc golfer? Like those things, 100% happen. Think. Those you things happen. think about that stuff. Yeah, yeah those I things did, happen. When we did that Florida trip and filmed a bunch of stuff, there was multiple times where I was like, I'm not filming in this field. Yeah. Because it wasn't, it wasn't announced that I was going back to Discraft yet. And so we went to a disc golf course to film. Like we went to a field next to a disc golf course. And I was like, I'm not going to film. I'm not going to be out here throwing yeah. with Ezra and Gossage and, and Bob. And I mean, because again, like that's easily how this stuff happens. So it just stuff just needs to be more careful. If, if it matters that much, don't tell be your more friends. Careful. That's, that's the easiest way. Just don't tell anyone, man. <laughs> Just wait. Because then All you'll right, know let, who does it. You'll know because if you keep it to three people, yes, now you know, yes. okay, can't trust that person. Very easy to find out who uh, who spilled the beans. Yep. All right. Speaking of which, let's talk about some player movement. Let's talk about some rumors. Let's talk about some conspiracy theories. I heard so, Ricky. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So Hunter received a DM about Chris Clemens, Van, being spotted at Discraft. This is another thing. I mean, the, the James Conrad, everyone knew he was going to MVP before because his van was at MVP headquarters. I'll say this. If you are having meetings, because again, this doesn't, I don't think this guarantees that Chris is going to Discraft because I think you can have, you should be talking to multiple people, right? You should be having meetings with multiple things. So it doesn't guarantee it. Could be his girlfriend too. True. However, let's rent a car here, guys. In the future, let's rent a car. (laughs) Let's rent a car. Let's not show up with your face and name on the side of your vehicle uh, in the future. That I think that is something that will get changed too. Um, we did speculate that Clemens was going to leave Dynamic Discs. He changed his Instagram handle, if you remember. Well, yeah. he posted today. He is leaving. He makes the post saying, I want to thank the Trilogy team for ha- everything that they have done for me over the years. I couldn't have made my dream a reality without you. Many great memories have been made along the way, and I will always cherish my time with Dynamic Discs. Thank you especially to a big list of people for believing in my abilities and and helping to cultivate my success. I will no longer be representing dynamic disc going forward. The future is bright and I can't wait to share my next step with everyone. This sounds like a guy that knows where he's going. Um, Top left-handed player on tour, great personality, obviously great hair. Um, Whoever ends up getting Chris Clemens, you've got a solid, solid guy. Really, really good putter. Um, got a good backhand, got a good forehand. So we'll be, uh, I did reach out to him. I did want him to come on. I asked, Hey, rumors are flying. Do you have anything that you want to come on tour life and say, he said, I I don't have anything at this moment. So, um, we'll, we'll wait to see what happens there. Next one, Robert Burridge. I mentioned this resigns with Lone Star. He makes the post. We are uh, Lone Star makes the post. We are excited to announce that Robert Burridge will be returning to team Lone Star Discs. For the 2024 season. Um, so they keep one of their young up and coming players with them. 
Now let's go to Eagle. Couple things here. First one. This mania is offloading tons of Eagle discs. They open the vault. They start selling cloud breakers. That's woo woo woo. That that's alarm bells. What's going on? What's happening? Then we have MVP making a comment on last on this week's grip locked, where Hunter and Trevor are speculating that Eagle might be rejoining his buddy in crime, Simon. And MVP responds, "This was a fun listen." Okay. Bit cryptic. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Now, a crazy conspiracy theory that I have, I almost believe myself, Yuli. This is from Courtesy Violation Pod, uh, a Twitter handle. They said, if the rumors are true about Eagle retiring from Froth to dedicate his time preparing for the Kendama Pro Tour, then Dismania will be forced to make Casey White their marquee player. Now, I think there was a little bit of a funniness to this. However, conspiracy theory. This Kendama thing, one of the guys that came out to try to be in my like Vegas crew out here, he was a professional Kadama player. He handed me, I, it's somewhere over here. He handed me his like professional Kadama like yeah. tool. Eagle loves this stuff. Mm -hmm. Is there a world where something happened this offseason? He jacked up his shoulder and get something weirds going on. And he's like, you know what? I'm hanging up disc golf. I'm going to go and do this Kadama thing. Is that it's a fun thought, crazy? But absolutely crazy. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm going to have to shut that one down. <laughs> no chance. You're no saying. chance. Zero chance. Okay. Yeah. All zero right. chance on that one. That was a reach. Okay. I like the reach. I mean, this guy threw it out there and I was like, that's so, uh, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. He's been training. Uh, um, I also reached out to Eagle, asked if he wanted to come on and share anything. He said um, that he respectfully declines. So um, again, I don't think we've had Eagle on the show. So we got to get him on. We'll get point. him on. Okay. A couple more stories. Johnny, I uh, do want to give a shout out to this. Johnny McRae, 11th annual South Florida Open champion. He now has 209 career PDGA wins. Uh, one of the legends in the sport. Um, you know, the big story, that recent story around him was his um, his illness. His uh, it was a heart. It was a heart attack, right? Yeah. If, I, if I'm correct. Coming back as fast as he came back from that and being able to play at the high level he is, the dude's an absolute monster. I got the pleasure of playing with him at the Florida tournament last year. Super nice guy. Very, very nice guy. So um, good to see that he is still playing some freaking good disc golf, man. Some freaking good disc golf. All right. Two more stories here. I think we're going to save the listener questions too, because this is a, this is getting to be one of our longer podcasts. Um, but two stories. One, we're going to really break down more next week, but I do want to just kind of give some information out. The 2024 Disc Golf Pro Tour All-Star Weekend, Yuli, has been announced. It will be February 16th through the 18th. It will be at the Olympus Disc Golf Course in Brooksville, Florida. And if you're asking yourself, what the heck is the Olympus Disc Golf Course? Well, yes, that is the course that we will be playing the Chess.com Invitational the following weekend. Um, so we're going to do back-to-back -back weekends, all-star event, then the Chess.com Invitational. Um, and we're going to break this whole announcement down because I think they're also opening up 
this year to not just all-stars, but they're going to invite specific people to to compete in specific uh, skills. So it won't just be the all-stars. We'll have like some specialists coming in. Gotcha. So that, that can be really, really fun. So we'll break that all down. Got some questions too about having it at the same tournament location. Got some questions there. All right. Last story here. Natalie Ryan versus PDGA. We haven't talked about Natalie Ryan forever. Yeah. That core issue, the the, uh, the lawsuit, whatever we want to call it, has been now officially dismissed with prejudice and is now closed. So I try to do some digging. I can pull up. We can pull up like the part that was kind of being shared. This is from Eastern District of a California Live System. The big thing here is it says. Um, Minute order issued by courtroom deputy Kruger for district judge on 12-19-2023 pursuant in, uh, to the notice of voluntary dismissal. So that means that uh, Natalie Ryan voluntarily dismissed this case. Uh, Defendant Professional Disc Golf Association is hereby dismissed with prejudice, which means we learned this um, in the last case. Uh, you cannot refile. Um, and this case is now closed. So... What does this mean? Well, I did some digging, did some looking and trying to figure out what is going on. This is, this is, these are some thoughts after some reading. This is uh, a post on Reddit after reading, uh, after reading some and other explanations, all it means is that Natalie and the PDJ have settled on some sort of solution privately out of the court requirement of a verdict from the trial. Natalie withdrew voluntary, voluntarily, which means she either ran out of resources to continue fighting, which doesn't seem to be the case based on what people are saying, or the PDGA has agreed to change the terms. This seems more likely. Uh, another person followed up saying that Natalie, tour, uh, Natalie Ryan has bought a 2024 tour card, and this seems to indicate that she will be able to play in the 2024 season. Um, so it seems like there's got to be some sort of statement I'm assuming coming from the PDGA at some point about this, but all signs as of right now are pointing that the fight that the PDGA was having the fight that the disc golf pro tour was having. Um, it seems like they have come with some sort of decision out of court and with Natalie Ryan paying, we don't know if it's the entire tour, but at least she will be playing some of the tour by her being able to, get a 2024 tour okay so we'll see we'll kind of wait back and see uh what the statement and when the pgj makes a statement about that we'll obviously bring that to you guys all right housekeeping monthly subscription boxes on foundationdisc.com i think there's less than 30 now make sure you grab one of those i'm going to do a youtube video very soon when mine comes in so those will probably be gone so you guys get a little bit last reminder if you're trying to get this last monthly subscription box in December, now's the time to do it. Shout out to our Tour Life crew. I think I'm going to do... Actually, I know. I'm going to do a live stream with you guys tomorrow. If you're listening, if you're in the live chat, Tour Life crew, uh, be on the lookout. I'll make, a, I'll make the YouTube video only uh, available to you guys so you'll see it, but I'll schedule it as well so you can see what time. My guess, it'll be probably sometime in the afternoon or evening tomorrow so hopefully i'll see all my tour life crew guys in the chat there spotify via apple podcast battle spotify still crushing apple 818 reviews apple 215 reviews we Over have the now 200, eclipsed, though. 
over the 200 and we have now eclipsed a thousand reviews yuli that's good that's that's incredible thank you for everyone that has dropped a review we are also less than 500 guys less than 500 followers on instagram away for our two disc giveaway bob keeps texting me saying yo where am i sending these discs to where am i and i'm like we don't we're not at 5,000 yet bob so go over to instagram.com slash tour life underscore podcast follow us over there we're over just over 4,500 followers once we hit 5k that unlocks this wow what a show man that was a lot that was a lot of stuff man what a show shout out to kale shout out to nico yeah good one yeah great talking to both of those guys um i'm gonna throw this out there too might as well, right? Let's 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 uh let's do a little preview of something to come. I, I I threw this into the tour life chat. You guys seem to like it. I'm thinking probably starting in January because players are still kind of moving right now. I kind of want to do a little bit of a round table with manufacturer players. So maybe the first week in January we get four discraft guys on here all at once talking sharing stories hanging out then the next week maybe we get four innova guys on here and yep. the next week maybe we get four latitude guys on, right i think that would be fun to just kind of hang out talk i don't think there's gonna be that much news yuli happening yeah. in january i think the next couple of weeks are gonna be massive so it'd be fun to just dra- grab some of the guys chat what's going on this off season lead us into um i like that the regular season i like that a lot yeah. It'll be fun. I'm with that. So, all right. Thanks again to our guests, Nico, Kale. Thanks again to Silas, always being able to run this. Shout out to Yuli's internet guy. Yuli didn't go super blurry mode. Let's get the fireworks going. My ethernet went. Hopefully this was an awesome live stream for everyone and everyone that's listening at home. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this podcast. We really appreciate it. Don't forget, if you're on the YouTube, make sure you guys like the video. That helps us out a lot. And also subscribe right here on the Foundation Podcast channel. And we'll see you guys next week.